To most girls, the menstrual period should bring no severe discomfort. Some girls have a little less pep, a feeling of pressure in the lower part of the body, perhaps an occasional twinge or a touch of nerves. But don't let it get you down. After all, no matter how you feel, you have to live with people. And once you stop feeling sorry for yourself and take those days in your stride, you'll find it easier to keep smiling and even-tempered. During menstruation, not only can you bathe, you should bathe. Your perspiration glands are working overtime. And as for the old taboo against exercise, that's nonsense. Exercise is good for you during menstruation. Just use common sense. When you come to think of it, most of your daily routine is on the mild side. It's going to extremes that's wrong and to be avoided. And do something about that slouch. Slumpy posture is just as bad inside as it looks outside. So stand up straight and let the organs function from the position that nature intended. And incidentally, it's smart to keep looking smart. That well-groomed feeling will give you new poise and lift your morale, especially when it's backed up with year-round fresh air and sunshine and plenty of rest and sleep. Because the best possible insurance against trouble on those days is healthy living every day. And that's the story. There's nothing strange nor mysterious about menstruation. All life is built on cycles. And the menstrual cycle is one normal and natural part of nature's eternal plan for passing on the gift of life. hideous female form. Why is it that fresh air and sunshine is a cure for things there are no cure for? I don't think so. I mean, I know I can bathe now. And I like the idea that Tim praises menstruation as something that there's no cure for. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. But the world of science is working. Really, is. Disney is on the case, Tim. Everything's going to be fine. All right. Why, uh, hello. It is eight minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of December. That was Disney? That was a Disney production. I'm not... Can you see it like a Disney World? I'm not making it up. There's a, at the end, it says, like, copyright 1958, the Walt Disney Corporation. And I don't think Tinkerbell comes out, but there is like a little bing, like a little fireworks uh, sort of explosion at the end, a little animated fireworks like over the Magic Castle at night. There you go. And do something about that slouch, Sarah. I'm afraid. Okay. Oh, my microphone is working. Thank God. Uh, why, hello. It is uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming by making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly Austin Pesci Studios of AM 970. The Talker. It's uh, 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvitches, kvitches, ruminations, ponderings, musings... Uh, limericks, haiku, iambic pentameter, whatever it is you have today. 503-733-2970. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at 
rickemerson.com, uh, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. The other great part about that menstruation film club, and that's like I think it's like a 15-minute film, and I've just sort of taken the two, the two best minutes of it. One is that kind of creepy line when she says, stand up straight and let your organs function properly. Because you sort of picture just like, like, especially if you're a young boy seeing that video for some reason, like if you're in health class and you have to watch the menstruation thing or whatever, because it's just like, you know, because it's what they're showing that day. I don't know how you would picture the insides of a woman's, you know, like it's just a big bag of giblets or something. <laughs> or like if, you, if you're sitting down or not standing up straight, like it just compresses your heart right into your liver and your lungs right into your brain. Jesus. Stand uh, up and look respectable. That's right. The other great moment there is when she says, and during menstruation, don't forget, you still have to work with other people. Sarah. I mean, it really, it's the whole thing is very pointed. It's sort of like a, you girls, would, quit your bitching. Like, who would think when you're menstruating that you can't bathe? She's uh, like, and it's all right to clean yourself. I'm, like, really? I just want to <laughs> marinate. <laughs> That's the worst thing you've ever said. It's seriously, though. Who would not want to clean themselves? It's like, who needs to be told? Okay, you can take a shower now. I know that I have a pretty strong constitution for these things, but don't ever say marinate in that sense again, please. That's just my little personal request. Wow. Alright. You don't have to go live in a straw hut for seven days. The blood uh, hut. Yeah. Anywho, hi, it's Wednesday. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, we'll talk about what's coming up today. I got the greatest thing. Chris Paddock handed me the greatest piece of audio yesterday. It was so great, he couldn't even wait to, like, walk. Keep in mind, Chris Paddock's office is about 25 feet away from mine. You do have to go up some stairs, though, which for pasty, spindly folk uh, such as ourselves, that can be a little challenge. So Chris Paddock couldn't even wait to come to my office. He actually called my voicemail and played a piece of audio into my voicemail and then called my cell phone to say, check your voicemail, I just sent you something. And then as I was checking my voicemail to hear, uh, my, to hear the thing, he then just ran up the stairs. So excited was he to share this piece of audio with me. So I'll play, uh, I'll play that later on. Before we do anything else, I just have to say one, one final thought about that. You know, the joy of menstruation, or whatever it's called, which, again, I can't stress this enough, is from Disney. Uh, along with wacky cartoon, you know, like sort of, not cartoon, but you know, like the really bad animations where it's just like a series. It's like, it's like the three frames per second animation. Kind of like in that thing we played one time, the Fallout. Nuclear Fallout doesn't have to kill you. Duck and cover. Brush your hair. Keep a shotgun with you. There's only room for two in that shelter. So it's got that same terrible, like... You didn't need all that hair anyway. <laughs> exactly. It's got, it's got all that same stop, drop, and roll animation. But the the thing about that menstruation video is when she says, when she says, you know, and stop that slouching and quit being such a bitch or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, and this is an absolutely true story. It is kind of like Joseph Smith, who was, the, you know, of course, the founder and first prophet of the Mormon church. And there was this whole business... And I'm not making this up, as Dave Barry used to say. Um, there was this whole business where, where God, uh, the Almighty, would appear to Joseph Smith and give him these revelations. And I think he even numbered them. I mean, I think it was like revelation number one. Uh, you know, um, the hokey pokey is what it's all about. Revelation number two, all other religions are flawed. Revelation number three, don't have coffee. Revelation number four, have 50 wives, and, or whatever. And so he would appear and God would give these revelations to Joseph Smith. 
There is this revelation to Joseph Smith, which is, by the way, part of it is part of the LDS Church canon. Like you can go to look it up. I do believe, although I could be wrong about this, it is the twenty-third revelation to Joseph Smith by the Lord God Almighty. Because Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, and by the way, this uh, little tiny theological lesson will all be worth it in the end because it has a hilarious punchline. So Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, I think had been giving him a bunch of guff because I think she felt that, like, I don't know, she felt he was being kind of a jerk or I think she wasn't with the plural marriage thing, polygamy. I think that's the deal. I think that, like, Joseph Smith came home to Emma, Emma Smith and he said, look, uh, yes, yeah, kind of weird. God appeared to me today. Yeah, no, I was out hunting, and uh, the, Jesus appeared to me, and it's the weirdest thing, honey. He um, he wants me to marry and then have sex with that girl next door. And I mean, and look, I uh, I don't want to do it, but it is the word of God. I uh, who am I to quibble with God? I uh, hi. Question. Seriously. So Joseph Smith was, you know, just marrying one woman after another and just giving it to a series of hot nubile Mormon chicks. And Emma Smith, his wife, was of course not a big fan of that. And she didn't think that the polygamy was such a great idea. So meanwhile, Joseph Smith is getting all these revelations from God. Yeah, it's like revelation number 17. Like uh, every so often you should hop up and down on one foot. Uh, signed, God. Revelation 23, as given to Joseph Smith by the Lord God Almighty, does in fact by name tell Emma Smith to shut up and quit questioning her husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. If you ever get a chance to go read it, it, I swear to you, it's absolutely true that Joseph Smith at one point received a revelation from God that does specifically mention Emma Smith. And it's like, everybody, especially you, Emma Smith, should accede to the will of God and quit questioning your husband. So there you go. So that's the advantage of forming your own religion, kids. You can actually have God tell your wife, like, in person, just to shut it. So and I'm just saying. So uh, use that knowledge as ye may. It is 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. And now you're a little bit smarter than you were a few minutes ago. This is coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us today about the uh, stupid U.S. auto industry. Uh, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum uh, today about the Wall Street. I'm sure he's got good news for us. Let's see what else. I do believe we're going to talk to Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. <coughs> I think he was back because he's on sabbatical writing the Paul McCartney book. I think he's back yesterday and Tuesday, or yesterday and Monday, rather. But I think today is the first day that he's sort of, you know, things have calmed down a bit. So we'll talk to Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Let's see what else. Coming up today, uh, another installment of the greatest songs ever made. Uh, we'll have this fantastic audio that Chris Patty gave me. And now let's all buckle down and get through these next 25 seconds. Don't forget, today one random caller wins run of engagement passes to Rock and Roll Up. Rock and Roller, written and directed by Guy Ritchie. In London, a real estate scam puts millions of pounds up for grabs, attracting some of the city's scrappiest tough guys and its more established underworld types, all of whom are looking to get rich quick. While the city's seasoned criminals vie for the cash, an unexpected player, a drugged-out rock and roller, presumed to be dead but very much alive, has a multi-million dollar prize fall into his hands. It's the exciting new crime thriller from Guy Ritchie. It's Rock and Roller. The love of Jesus. So there you go. One random on-air caller today wins a run of engagement passes to Rock and Roller. New guy, Richie. So, all right, there you go. For the love of holy God. <coughs> Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. A tanning salon employee is charged with unwanted sexual abuse and rubbing tanning lotion on a naked customer. Uh. <laughs> 
An older Clark County man who lived with his mother and pet cat became paranoid, intense, and controlling, finally killing her and himself. The coup cracks down on dirty dancing teens. GM needs 12 billion by March, so please hurry. German soldiers are too fat to fight in Afghanistan. A mother who locked her son in a room with just a bucket for a toilet will not be locked up herself. Uh, we'll hear from the First Lady about decorating for Christmas and perfect for gift giving. New Nixon tapes are available. What do you mean new Nixon tapes? They they, uh, they released some new Nixon tapes. Are these new Oval Office tapes? Yes, they are. That's fantastic. And I went to the website. Let's see. And do we, we also have... have Nixon for kids. Oh, dude. Let me see that. Do we have... Uh, do, are there... Are there excerpts of the Nixon tapes? Do we have some of the excerpts today? Uh, we do not. They have not released the material online. They do have uh, the PDF versions of... They've been transcribed. Nixon for kids? Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what... If I was a better comedian, not? I would... If, if I were if I were uh, more comedically gifted, I'd be able to come up with something right now. What advice would Richard Nixon give children? <laughs> Always frame the paste eaters. That's not very funny. I don't know. I don't even. That, that's so bizarre that I can't even come up with a joke about it. Uh huh. Well, I'll bring it back later when we right. think about it. I got nothing. All right. That the these, these are new materials. Uh, let's see here. 198 hours of conversations recorded between November 1972 and December 1972. <laughs> I mean, uh, the machine just never stopped. No, of course. No, it just ran and ran. Well, you know that, I mean, of of all of those Nixon tapes, mm-hmm. of all of the... Because I think he did that like his first day on the job in the office. You know? Hey, what do you need, Mr. Nixon? Coffee? Drapes? Install these 500 cassette recorders everywhere. And so... And they were just running constantly. My favorite thing is this picture, picture of Nixon on the phone in the corner of the webpage. That's true. I want you to firebomb the Brookings Institute. <laughs> We should totally caption this Nixon photo. So it's taken years to make this one month's worth of taping available. How how can we screw Jack Anderson today? All right. Well, so it's great. There you go. That's wonderful. Now, the, uh, and this is actually, if you watch the Oliver Stone film Nixon, and as much as Oliver Stone gets tagged for making stuff up, mm-hmm. of all of his sort of historical films, the Nixon by Oliver Stone is actually far and away the most accurate. Um, in most, of the, in most, if not all, of the things that they depict in the movie Nixon really happened or have at least been relayed and, and, and recounted and verified by by a couple different people. Like that weird scene where he's when Nixon is uh is in the Oval Office, like the night before he the night before he gets out of office and he's there with, with Henry Kissinger and Henry Kissinger comes in and he's like, Mr President, what how can I help you today? Just totally sounding like Lurch. And Nixon Will you pray with me, Henry? And then they get and then there's this insane moment and Kissinger himself has talked about this. With this Richard Nixon on his Richard Nixon, who is just so unbelievably evil that I mean, just, I, I mean, just just his his heart pumping, not blood like yours and mine, but just a thick black evil goo filled with death. This Nixon on his knees in the Oval Office praying, and then asking Henry Kissinger to get on his knees and pray next to him. And Kissinger later talked about how he was just sitting there in the Oval Office on his knees in this pitch black office with a fire roaring next to them. And meanwhile, Richard Nixon, how surreal would that be? Richard Nixon is on his knees next to you going, <laughs> and you're just waiting for the gun to come out. I think Nick, I think Kissinger actually said it. And then I kept wondering if it was going to end with violence. So, anyway. So there you go. Well, Nixon for kids. Later on on the Rick Emerson Show today. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. Hello, how are you today? Hello. I'm doing quite well. Oh, all right. You're wearing your Ted Leo and the Pharmacist uh, hoodie. And here's the thing. I know that I keep promising to listen to Ted Leo, oh, and then out. I just, I'm jealous that you haven't heard it, so that you get to hear it for the first time. I know. I mean, I'm not intentional. I was thinking of saying this the other day that I, uh, 
I use a well, I won't say because I want to seem as like I'm an endorsing one, but I uh, I use a uh, I use a music subscription service myself. I know some people, some kids are all on the iTunes, which is fine for for certain folks. Uh, I'm not with that. Uh, I use this subscription music service, which is pretty great. But they do the same thing of like. I see that you've purchased, uh, you know, whatever. You might also enjoy Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. And it did say, based, I bought this, uh, I had, was listening to this record by this band called the Gutter Twins. And it said, like, if you like the Gutter Twins, you should try Ted Leo. And then I meant to because you're always talking about him. Mm-hmm. But then I think Lara made me come take out the trash or something. So I wasn't able to do it. You so. got distracted. Yeah. I but understand. I'll, but I'll do it. At some point, I will. I think you should. All right. Too bad you just missed him when he was in town with the Yeah, game. but he's going to be back in like a week, right? Is he? No, but I mean, isn't he here? Like, he's been here like nine times No, he only comes like once a year. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. All right. I, oh, I, was... I would very much know if Ted Leo is coming more than... Because I, I saw him last year for um, Music Fest Northwest. He came right around that time. Not for this most recent one, but right. the one before. And right. then he came. Well, uh, duly noted. So I, I will go see him the next time. But I thought he was like one of those... Because like Roger Klein comes every three weeks or whatever. Uh, so... Ted Leo has places to go, people to see. He can't always be coming back to Portland. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, well, I will. I will listen to him without fail. So. so I went and saw um, Burn After Reading last night. Oh, the Coen Brothers. So I, I run real. No, I run hot and cold on the Coen Brothers. It takes a lot to get me to see a Coen Brothers film. It was okay. Like yeah. it was. It was funny at parts. It, I was. I was not bored. Is it a lot of the? Hey, look at these hicks talking funny. Because that's kind of their deal. It wasn't Hicks this time so much as it was stupid people. Well, that's kind of their deal. But were they stupid people that occasionally... Like Francis McDormand and uh, Brad Pitt played these like two you know idiots basically yeah. who worked at this gym and they find they find this disc and they think it's you know secret CIA right. document so they're like going around trying to like figure out this thing and because John Malkovich is in it and he's he's great. Well, they're always I mean the, the, don't get me wrong the Coen Brothers you know those movies are always filled with great acting and everything but it, this, so Burn After Reading was it. Were the characters stupid people who, though, sometimes for no real reason, spoke in like a weirdly flowery language? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Very much so, yes. Yeah. Especially, so yeah, Francis McDormand. That's the Coen brothers. That's like their one That's like their one trick that they can do. Well, hey, look, it's like, a hick who occasionally uses a big word. Isn't that funny? That was just it. And everyone in the theater yeah. was just, you know, laughing their asses off. And I'm like, it's not bad. I don't no. think it's the most hilarious thing. I laughed out loud probably a couple times. And George Clooney was, his character was a little over the top. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it just kind of rubs me the wrong way, that dynamic with uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt. They're like, right. look at how handsome and successful and talented and good-looking we are. But we can kind of poke fun at ourselves. But we're playing schlubs and losers. It kind of bugs me, kind yeah. of like in the Ocean's Eleven thing yeah. when they act like that. Yeah. I, uh, it's the same kind of tone. Yeah, it takes a lot to get me to like a Coen Brothers film. I recognize that they're really good at a certain very limited kind of filmmaking. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm a better filmmaker. I'm just saying I can spot when they're just kind of treading the same ground it over and over It just seems kind of disconnected, yeah. and there weren't really a lot of, like, it didn't really come together no. at the end, and all of a sudden the credits are rolling. I'm like, what, no, what and happened? The, and the Coen Brothers, I don't want to turn this thing to just me railing on the Coen Brothers, because that can go on forever. But the Coen Brothers have also reached that point in their career where they know that they can make anything. And certain, you know, and a certain slice of the film-going audience will show up every single time. The Coen Brothers are sort of like Kevin Smith in that regard. Because let's be honest, Kevin Smith is a limited filmmaker, to put it kindly. Uh, Kevin Smith is good at a certain kind of writing. Not really good at directing most of the time, ever. Mm-hmm. He's not a good cinematographer. Can't really do action sequences. Kevin Smith is good at writing a very certain limited kind of dialogue. But he can get by with it because he knows that guys like me will show up to watch it. So I'm not trying to say that my film taste is any better or whatever. I mean, I'll go to see certain films that are made by people who maybe don't have a very broad palette or whatever, you know, however you want to phrase that. But the Coen brothers are the same thing. It's a whole lot of, like, he, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're rubes that sound like they came out of, like, uh, Tennessee Williams' place. So, 
But, the, yeah, but it's always of, poor people, though, that think that they've found a way to become rich. Is, like every Coen Brothers film is that. Because you know what, Frances yeah. McDormand's character, the, her whole, the whole premise of the movie is that she wants to get plastic surgery because she's restarting her life. Right. But she can't afford the $50,000 to get the surgeries that she wants. But look at this. I done found me a bag of money out back. Ain't... Ain't that a serendipitous experience? Listen to how I'm poor, but I used a big word. That's funny. Yep, and so, yeah. like, and for some reason, she has connections to, like, yeah. the Russian, um, uh, whatever it is, like, the, yeah. the Russian people in Folks. the. Yes. Yeah. So, well, they're, yeah, they're talking to all these, like, gangsters and stuff, trying to sell them this disc, and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Well, now you're going to be off Scott Daly's Christmas card list, I'm afraid. So. Eh, all right, let's see. What did I do? Oh, I did not just, for those people playing the follow along game, I did not get the Dexter last night. I meant to get the Dexter, and then I didn't, because I. Killed more zombies. But I'm returning the game. The game Left for Dead is in my bag upstairs. You spent last night playing video games again. You know, I have to, to be fair, this is why I love my wife, to be fair. I went home last night. We were watching Anderson Cooper, which at a certain point I just had. I think I've reached the point with Anderson Cooper, and it's not because of the political burnout. It's just because I don't think I can take any more of Ali Velshi standing in front of that, like, jagged line with the economy that, like, now is below the floor. He's like, Anderson, as you can see, everybody in America will be living in a gutter by next week, eating cans of whiskey's cat food. Now, I wish this wasn't the case, but it really is. However, GM's getting $25 billion. I just, I can't. Last night, I reached my, my, my threshold with that. He was, and looking at, if Ali Velshi can't make it palatable, because he's a guy who makes you feel like at least he has a handle on the situation. But then Anderson Cooper also does the great thing of asking questions you know he knows the answer to. So, Ali, is there, is there any good news at all? Which, you know, we know the answer to that. So does Anderson Cooper. But it's just an excuse for Ali to go, no, Anderson, none at all. Unless you work for the auto industry or have managed your company badly. In which case, you'll be getting free money. Everybody else, no. No, no, the news is bad. Join us tomorrow for more bad news. And I was, finally, I was like, <laughs> off. And, That's why uh, I just can't watch the news anymore. Because you yeah. know everything's bad. I don't need to be reminded That's, constantly. Yeah, I, I just, I opted out. And so, Lara, God bless her. Not only did she did she want to go to the uh, Jubit's truck stop for our Thanksgiving dinner, last night she said, because I think she could tell that I was sitting there staring at the TV, becoming really just stressed out and irritated by the whole thing. And I turned off the TV and she goes, well, you know, I'm going to go read, you should kill some zombies. She said it just that way. God bless her. She actually said, I'm going to go read, you should kill some zombies. And, a good I, lady. and it was in a really sweet way. It wasn't like in a condescending, I don't understand you because mm -hmm. you're 35, but act like a retard. Uh, she actually just said, like, do, you know, kill someone. And I said, my God, honey, I will. And I did, and it felt great. But, I, but here's the thing. I rented Left 4 Dead. I didn't buy it. So I rented it, put it in my bag. I'm going to return it tonight, and I'm going to wait and see if I want to buy it. Because I could easily, I could see that just consuming just, just whole huge, just massive sections of my life. So... Anyway, so uh, so there's that. Um, oh, the other thing I didn't get a chance to watch. So I didn't watch Dexter last night, so I'm behind on that. And you know, I got to tell you, I know we're like a week behind now, but I still have never seen any of that Rosie O'Donnell uh, special. Did what anybody the Rosie O'Donnell special? The last you don't know, it you was haven't the heard. Rated mm -hmm. television program in like Quite ever. Uh, it was Rosie O'Donnell's variety show, which aired. Was it Thursday? Was it on Thanksgiving? Or the night before. Okay, it was, I think it was the night before Thanksgiving, and all through the house, Rosie O'Donnell was doing this variety show that I think she thought was going to be spun off into a series. That was her whole thing. No, it's going to be a series. Everybody will love it. And apparently, I mean, it was, and then we're, way, I mean, we're like way dated with this. It's we're almost we're a week behind, but apparently it was just like the worst thing that has ever aired. The New York Times just Paddock called me in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner. Actually, Paddock called me at the Jubix truck stop, and he's like, "Where are you at?" And I'm like, "Jubix truck stop," and he's like. Well, okay. Do you have a second? 
And I said, yeah, he goes, the Rosie special. Did you watch? And I said, no. And he goes, dude, 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 you, mu you have to find it. You must watch. So apparently it's one of the worst things that's ever aired. But the, the, but the YouTube clips have all been taken down. Because the network was so horrified by it. There's, it's like, the, it is, I'll tell you this, it is, it is the Star Wars, uh, it is the Star Wars holiday special for 2008. It is the Star Wars holiday special for Friends of Rosie. Let's put it that way. Um, so I guess it's just off the charts bad. And I, even now I'm trying to find pieces of it. I guess she did put up a little thing in her blog yesterday. It's not going to be made into a series. Like, oh. She actually took the time to point it out. Um, did I tell you, I never got to this thing that I wanted to... Okay, well, we'll, we'll get back. We'll talk to Lisa Desjardins. We have Steve Katzenbaum coming up later on. Uh, Peter Carlin, another installment of the greatest songs ever made, and uh, so forth. And I'll tell you what Rick Emerson found in his basement. Mm. Right, stay there. It's the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Back after this. Rick Emerson Radio Program, home of the world's finest bumper music. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Coming up later on, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth, uh, another installment of the greatest songs ever made, and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Hill, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, CNN Radio Correspondent to the Stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hey, how are you? I'm fine. You know why? Because I like to say Saxby Chambliss. Hey, Chambliss. But Cham it's, it's still good. Either way, it's good. Is it Chambliss or ch it's Chambliss? Saxby Chambliss. All right. And can I tell you, here's uh, here's how uninformed I am. I thought it was like Sax B, like S-A-X <laughs> and then B period. Like Sax, like sax you know, Byron Chambliss, Chambliss, whatever. But Saxby is so S-A-X-B-Y. What is up with that name? That's it. It's great, great, yeah, great for you Scrabble players out there. But what is the, what is like the the etymology of that name? You know, I have no idea. I mean, but it's not. That's not his nickname. I mean, that is. I, mean, I guess it might be a nickname, but that is the name that goes on the ballot. You know, what we could do. We could do uh, top five names that sound like they must be fake, but but are you know, but are actually like on the birth certificate. Like actually top for real. Yeah, right. like top five cool names that are actually your birth name. I'm trying to think of somebody else. Mm. Uh, See, I want to say Shaquille O'Neal just because it rhymes, but uh, well, that doesn't really count. Isn't but, Mitt actually on on his? Is not his name Mitt? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. I think that's not short for anything. I suppose, but let's it was also. The nickname of uh, the uncle, right? The the uh, Chicago Bears player uncle. I'm not really privy to Mitt Romney's birth certificates and other <laughs> means of documentation. I would also though say that Mitt isn't necessarily a name that's ever going to get you elected, and we're never going to have a president Mitt. That's just not going to happen. You don't think we're not going to have a... You don't think? I forget who said this, but we're never going to have a president named after a big glove. It's not in the cards, <laughs> sister. It's not going to take place. Oh, here's a good one, though. Rush Limbaugh. Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. That is, in fact, his birth name. Rush Hudson Limbaugh III. How so. about... um? How about... I never waste an opportunity to bring this up. Chester Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. There's yep. something there. It's got a certain... Chester Arthur sounds... You know what Chester... I was saying that Saxby, which I then thought was Saxby Chambliss... I was saying that he sounded like, you know what Sax B. Chambliss sounds like? He sounds like that guy who's on the Monopoly cards, the old guy with the monocle and the, you know, the long mustache. Yes, yes. Whoever that character is. Colonel, Colonel Mustard? No, no, that's Clue. And that you're being deliberately <laughs> obtuse. I was just joking. <laughs> um, I think his name is something something Penny Pincher, isn't it? I think that's right. 
We've just gone down such a pop culture rabbit hole here. Let's yeah. work our way back. I do believe the old man in the Monopoly game is called something something Penny it Pincher. Penny, is it Penny Pincher? Penny Worth? I can't remember. Something. I think it's Penny Pincher. Um, so that's what I, and I picture Sax B. Chambliss looking like him, but then being one of those guys who, when he appears, like whenever he speaks, in my head he is always sitting in this plush leather chair at the club with the other boys. And he's in that reading room that just has all of those, like, books on the shelf that are never really read by anybody. And he is, in fact, drinking brandy out of a snifter. Yes. And he's saying, well, I'm very happy to continue to represent the good people of Georgia. And uh, now uh, I must be off. We're having a fox hunt. You know, or whatever. So there's so that's Tax Be Shameless. Um, what were you saying, Chester Arthur? Chester Arthur. You know, I think that just doing some quick uh, Internet searching, it's possible that his first name... Um, is something else, and it's I, I see somewhere that it is C. Period Saxby Chambliss, but I don't. It's not confirmed. C. Saxby Chambliss, which would be fantastic. Um, yeah. Chester Arthur sounds like um, Chester Arthur sounds like some guy who would be in the English countryside in about 1850, or quite possibly uh, one of the characters in the short story The Most Dangerous Game. Oh, I don't yes. know why. All right. Um, final note on the names thing. Yeah. You know, you know, really, and I have to say, as with almost everything, the black community is way out front with the cool names. There's an actor. He was on the the Wire, and his his first name is Maestro. M A E S T R O. He's the. I think it's. Uh, I think it's the kid who plays Randy, who um, Whitney, you know, knows about the boy Lex getting killed, as they say, and then uh, whatever. Uh, and blah 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 blah, and then he ends up in the foster home or whatever. But his, right. but Randy's played by Maestro Harold. Right on. And I would just see that in the credits. I'm like, why do I have to be called Richard? It's a stupid name. So, <laughs> my next life, I'm going to be called Maestro. And apparently, um, the C may stand for Clarence. Clarence. Yeah, you can't Clarence, be called Clarence. Clarence Saxby Chambliss. Yeah, nobody named Clarence. Hey, here's a question for you. I don't know what time, kind of time you got today, but I have another name question. Yeah. What do you do when you meet somebody whose first name is an initial? You know, like J. Edgar Hoover, G. Gordon Liddy, C. Everett, C. Everett Coop, A. Whitney Brown. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you have to know him to say, you know, Mr. Liddy. But, I mean, is that the thing? Is it like a psychological, is it a thing they do to have a psychological advantage because they know that until you are somehow given permission, you have to refer to them as Mr. Liddy or whatever? I mean, it, Sarah, let me ask you this. If you met somebody and they what's your name? They say, well, my name is, uh, you know, J. Evans Pritchard. And you went, oh, okay, uh, and then, you know, you went to refer to them, like, it, but then, like, they'd left their glasses behind, and right. you wanted to call it, like, come back and get your glasses. How would you address them? J. Yeah. Evans Pritchard. And, and you, yeah, and you'd have to, I'd do the Mr. Pritchard, and if it was, uh, you know, someone who was not older than you or in a higher position, I'd do it with a kind of, uh, you know, ironic, saucy tone. Let's say, let's say well, they're... I would probably just try and scoot around that and call him, like, hey, mister, or, like, say something... Hey, mister. No. Hey, mister, late edition, get yeah. it, ten cents. Exactly, like, use something that um, to avoid having to make that commitment until I hear somebody else address him. You'd name. work around it. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever done this? And I know you have. Oh, yes. Are you talking about the introducing someone to someone that you can't remember? Yeah, and you name? can't remember their name, and this She's happens like, with... hey, this is Joe. My wife and I will do this sometimes, where we'll meet somebody, and we can't remember the person's name, and I'll wait for a fourth person to join, or, you know, a fifth person to join the conversation or whatever, and then, like, I'll wait for them to do the introduction so that I can get the name out of them. Yes, yes. Um, all right, well, there you go. These are the things I think about. Um, <laughs> and I think about them because every minute I spend thinking about how to address A. Whitney Brown is a minute I don't have to sit and think about the auto industry, who, is it true, I may have asked you this, but this may have happened during yesterday's uh, conversation, that they all drove hybrid cars to get back to Washington? 
And drove slash driving, yeah. Seriously. As one listener put it, uh, too little, too late. Go to hell. Um, <laughs> well, my favorite is, let me pull this up. I think that we're, we're not exactly sure uh, what kind of car uh, the head of Chrysler drove. Mm-hmm. But they told us that it was going to be one of two cars, both of which, I am not kidding, um, are, are uh, discontinued. <laughs> are you kidding me? So they're driving cars that you couldn't buy if you wanted to. This is what we hear from Chrysler, the Durango or the Aspen Hybrid. Uh, And apparently they were made in Newark, Delaware, but uh, Chrysler closed down the plant early. So they were only in production for just a couple of months. Let me understand this. So first they were flying in a plane, not taking a car of any variety. Now, if, if, if these reports are to be believed, they are actually driving cars which themselves are symbols of their inability to make any money selling cars. Right, and their ability to shut down and potentially shut down plants, lay off workers. Now, that's just Chrysler. That's only Chrysler. But, I mean, they're driving a car that's an emblem of failure. You might as well drive an Edsel. Yes, but apparently it's the best hybrid they have. I'm not sure. I don't know if that's exactly the case, but, you know, why else would you choose that car? Hey, or, or they're hoping to get it back on the market, which, which could very well be the case as well. I read a great article a couple weeks ago, which I now for the life of me cannot find again. I can't find it anywhere. And I think it was used at U.S. News and World Reports online, but maybe not. Where they went, they interviewed a bunch of workers at like, I, I think it was like at a Toyota plant here in America. And they said like, hey, so times are tough, right? Everybody's getting fired. And the guy's like, no, I'm fine. Big Christmas bonus, too. And this is not like a manager. This is some guy in the line. And he said, well, you know, things aren't quite as good as, uh, you know, things aren't quite as good as last year, but, I, you know, I got no worries. Everything seems to be fine around here. And it was this interview with, a, you know, with, with American workers working at, like, a Toyota plant somewhere who said that, relatively speaking, they weren't really feeling the crunch. And the interviewer said, like, well, what do you make of, like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Ford going with their handout? And the guy was just like, I don't know. They must be doing something wrong over there. And so I'm kind of painting it in primary colors, but the article very much did at least anecdotally make it seem like like this really is um, a, a, a type of mismanagement that is particular to this you know to these three companies so yeah, i think it i think continually uh these three companies now i i do think so far ford has been ahead of the game on a number of fronts you know ford they were the first company to uh, you know drive to washington that whole thing even though it wasn't by much although their ceo was the last one to say he'd take a dollar a year of salary but but from uh their production side ford has definitely been ahead of the game and their pr side has been so much easier to work with this week but i think this whole driving to washington is a great example of how it's not clear that these guys get it i mean they're driving to washington um and you would think it's a great pr stunt you get cameras and you, you put the cameras at some rest stop somewhere uh you know you may have some security worries so you just you know tell a couple of news organizations your guy gets out he gets a hamburger at a you know regular american rest stop gets back in the car and takes off they're not doing that we have no idea when they're hitting the road in fact ford ceo is already here um and we also know gm ceo the only one that we know of having a photo op is driving one car to washington and then switching and doing a photo op tomorrow with a with a different car he's going to drive a different car up to uh basically the congressional office building it, but it's it, not the car you drove here. It's, it's all, ugh, yeah. And at this point, I mean, I know I'm normally the guy coming up with all kinds of ideas and, uh, you know, sort of, here's what they ought to do. This would be a great PR stunt. But it's like these guys have, pardon me, have just, excuse me, these guys have just bungled it so badly and so repeatedly. 
I don't even know what I would suggest at this point. I have no, uh, I have no ideas. I have no augmentations. There are no, I have no notions about how they might uh, make this look better well, since they've made I, it look so bad. It's been a PR disaster to some extent, or it's been a real PR problem. Um, there, the actual plans that they submitted yesterday uh, show much more serious you know, kind of catastrophe that they've been dealing with in terms of their production and their and their sales. Now, as I say, Ford is in better shape than the other two, and that's clear. Ford says they may not even have to use this any loan money, but they want it as a backup because they know the economy is very shaky. Now, on the other hand, um, Chrysler is saying um, it needs money right now. It needs $4 billion between Chrysler and GM. They need way more than $25 billion. I was just going to say, I was looking at these figures. They wanted $25 billion, and that looks like they want, wait for it, $34 billion. Yeah, if you add it up, it makes no sense. Why are you guys asking for $25 billion when you said you absolutely need so much more than that to survive? This makes no sense. And, and, and to, get, to get there, if you look at GM and Chrysler's plans, they're, they are planning mass layoffs, and they are planning closing uh, thousands or hundreds at least together, thousands of dealerships across the country. They're going to have to do that, but there may be no point to that plan if they can't get this money now. However, they can't seem to add up how much money they need, and I, I just think tomorrow is going to be a real roller coaster. It's going to frustrate me because as angry as these congressmen get, and they're going to you know, stand on their you know, podium and kind of you rail against the auto industry, some of them will. In the end, they're probably going to give them a lot of money, and, and I'm not sure how much that amount of money is going to be tied to the business plans exactly, because if you tied it to the business plans, you would give money to some companies, but not all three of them. You know, here's the idea I have. This has nothing to do with, uh, I mean, it does have something to do with what we're talking about, but here's, here's. I was talking yesterday, as I always do, about Google doing this, buying a car, and somebody pointed out that, like, the Tesla, the Tesla Works company or whatever is sort of, is sort of doing something like that, but, you know, maybe the automakers or the government or both, maybe they just have a nationwide contest, you know what I mean? Where the, where the government gets together to some, uh, some ad, some press conference, where some guy from the government comes out and, hello, I'm Kent Mansley from the government. And then, meanwhile, here's like the three, the three guys from the big, the big three auto companies. And they say, look, uh, yeah, as you know, uh, nobody really wants to buy our cars and, uh, we apparently aren't very good at making money. So here's what we need. We need you, uh, the industrious American with your Yankee ingenuity to build the car of tomorrow. And we'll give, of this, you know, $34 billion, we'll give a billion-dollar prize to the first person who makes a viable, like, car of tomorrow that will sell. And just and just throw it out to, you know, a country of 280 million people. You're telling me some guy out there in a garage, there's yeah. not some Philo Farnsworth guy can't come up with a car? So, I'm just I, saying. I'm waiting for your Google video. Well, I, you know, I got things to do. So, I got, I got this new zombie-killing game for the Xbox. That's so. how it is, huh? Yeah. Look, I, it's not my fault. I mean, the zombies aren't going to kill themselves. Sometimes you got to sit on the couch and take care of business, Lisa. All right, well, I'll try to get on that today. Okay. Uh, all right, anything else I need to care about before we go? Nope, that's it. By the way, the name of the guy in Monopoly is Rich Uncle Milburn Pennybags. Pennybags. There you go. Fun. And uh, and we're done. All right, thank you, Lisa. Thanks, guys. There you go. Rich Uncle Milburn Pennybags. Pennybags? Yeah. And still no answer. Tim, let me ask you this. If you met someone named Jay Evans Pritchard, and let's say he was just a, you know, just a, a casual acquaintance, he wasn't like a colleague or anything, some guy equivalent to you in age, you're talking to him, you meet him very casually, hey, Tim Riley, hey, Tim Riley, Jay Evans Pritchard, and then he goes to leave the room, you realize he's left his briefcase behind. you got to get his attention. What do you call him?
say uh, fella. See, that's what it says. Yeah, I said mister. Hey, mister. <laughs> See, no one knows. But here's the thing is, don't you think, like, somebody has to know? Because there's a whole bunch of people in this world with, a, with a, an initial as their first name. They must have friends, mm-hmm. I would think. Somebody must have addressed it. Somebody must have gotten here before us and left us some kind of a map on how to deal with that. Because now, now that we're having this discussion, I realize that it's going to happen to me at some point. Now, see, now I'm already preemptively anxious for the day that it's going to happen. And you know who it's going to be? It's go- and it's going to be uh, like some guy that I need to be nice to. It's going to be somebody whose favor I need to curry. Um, you know, and they're going to go, hey, yeah, this is uh, this is J. Albert Smith. And I it's better go- to not know than to say the wrong name, which is what I've done, because I've been overly confident thinking that I know someone's name. Maybe I should. What if you just asked, you know? Pardon me. Well, should I call you uh, Albert? Should I call you J. Albert? J. How should I handle this, sir? Throw yourself on the ignorance. At one of my favorite bars, there's this guy who works there, and I know his name, but I've called him the wrong name so many times that now they're mixed in my head. Yeah. I've, I know his name is Brian, but I called him Dave once, mm-hmm. and so I, I know in my head that it's Brian, but I'm still scared to say his name because yeah. I'm afraid that I'm wrong and it's going to be Dave. Oh no, totally. But I've known no. him for like a year now. No, uh, you know, at uh, you know our good friends at CD Game Exchange, um, you know, for a long time I called one of them by the wrong name. Uh, and and just and he and I think he just and what was embarrassing is he never corrected me for the longest time. He just let me keep doing it. I think because he felt awkward. And finally he goes, Yeah, it's actually not my name. My name's blank. You know. And I said, uh, That's the worst one that happened. And I said, Oh. And I said, You know, I've been calling you, you know, this other name all this time. He goes, Yeah, I know. And I said, Well, sorry about that. But see, the great thing about that is, you know what I did then to diffuse it in my patented way? I just kept calling him that. And then we'd chuckle. Nah. Kind of disarm him with your yeah, well, knowledge of your name. Yeah, it's like it was the it was the uh, it was like the um, um, it was the Chris Farley thing. Then I just kept doing it till it became funny. So <laughs> should repeat. That's a good method. Yeah, seriously, perform, <laughs> repeat, perform, repeat, perform, repeat. Laughter. Uh, let's see, what are these uh, calls here? All right. Well, let's uh, well let's take this call on line one. Then we'll break. We'll come back with Tim Riley. Uh, is this our good friend Storm Large? Hi, honey. Hello, Storm Large. Hi, How are you today? Excellent. Thank you very much. What's up with you? Um, well, two things. One is I always call people angel pants if I don't know their name. <laughs> angel pants. Angel pants because it's, you know, it's flattering and, and instantly familiar, unless they're in a position of authority, and then I will just call them boss. Uh, yeah, bo- I've heard oh. you say that to people. I've heard you say boss to people. I think yeah. angel pants is a thing that perhaps you can get away with that others cannot. <laughs> Don't try to say no, that's not going to work. That's going to get me a meeting with HR pretty quickly. <laughs> Did you call a female subordinate angel pants? And I go, but sir, you don't understand. Storm Large told me to do it. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. Um, I don't know if I don't know how you guys feel about Michael Moore or anything like that. He's a contentious character in a lot of respects. I'm a I'm a fan. He wrote an awesome article today. Um, I saw it on the Daily Beast and. Um, he basically suggested that the government buy the big three right. and do a, do a nationwide search for someone who can actually run a big company. Now, buying all three would cost $4 billion. Is that true? Really? Yeah. By his estimation, by what their stocks are worth right now, buy all three for $4 billion and then find a business person in this country who knows how to make money and and dang it, we got a few of those. Well, seriously, and there's got to be a bunch of those guys who are busy. You know, they've run some tiny software company to the point where they got a jillion dollars, and now they're just sitting on an island in Fiji. Yeah, you know? shaped like themselves, of course. Yeah. Seriously, that's a that's a great idea. So, you know, I do. I love Michael Moore. I mean, Michael Moore is 
you know, people sometimes say he's a propagandist, and sometimes that's true, but I got no problem with that. He's good at what he does, and I admire a guy. I admire people who can make contentious points uh, in an entertaining fashion. Absolutely, and he's from Detroit, so yeah. he's, he's very embedded in this issue. And so, you know, it wasn't this radical, crazy concept. It was right. actually, you know, kind of dollars and cents. Four billion dollars. Jesus. Oh, I, I know. And, oh. and they're like, well, we need 34. <laughs> Maybe we should just, here's the thing. Maybe we should just have some, uh, some audience fundraiser, and we should, you know, we should raise... Uh, no, not all three. Maybe the audience and us should all chip together, raise ourselves enough money just to buy Ford, maybe, you know, or yeah. just Chrysler. And then we'll, uh, you know, and then we'll, and then we'll go in there and we'll, uh, we'll relaunch it ourselves. <laughs> sort of like, you know, the, uh, our gang, let's put on a show kind of a thing. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Are you going to drop by and see us on Friday? I am going to come by and see you on Friday. What should I wear? Angel pants. <laughs> and we're out. Storm Lodge. Thank you. There you go. Storm Lodge, ladies and gentlemen. See? I see what she did there. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. All right. We'll take a break. Come back with news after this. Uh, coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, the greatest songs ever made, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. And so forth. Wow, wow. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email me like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Still to come, Steve Kastenbaum will do another installment of uh, The Greatest Songs Ever Made. Don't forget one random on your caller today wins a, cop, uh, wins a pair of random engagement passes. We'll see the new guy, Richie Film, Rock and Roller. What's that about, Rick? Shut up. Uh, I'm sorry. I was, I was a little brusque. Roll a hoochie I know, seriously. <laughs> I was just inquiring. <laughs> didn't mean so Why blunt so there. Mean? <sighs> We're curious. Can you give me a little outline of the way the plot goes? No. No, I can't. I should make Richie come in and read it. Guy Richie tries again and fails. Uh, that is simply as he usually does. But it really doesn't matter. And the titles his latest work. In he still L makes a very good living with all these flops. In London, a wordy and predictable filmmaker attempts again to have crossover success in America and fails and has only his alimony payments to rely on. Playing soon. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Clackamas Community College is evacuated due to a leaking truck. A leaking what? Truck. Ah. It was evacuated three buildings of Clackamas Community College. Clackamas is filled with leaking vehicles. But this is in front of the community college. Not so the community. the minds of tomorrow being nurtured. Save, save the community college, Tim. It was a highly corrosive liquid that was discovered leaking from a truck. Curse of the Clackamas Fire Department and the Regional Hazardous Materials Team from Gresham 
are working to contain the spill. So let me understand this. So people people from Gresham are going are to say going to save the community, community college, college yeah. in Clackamas mm-hmm. single-handedly. Wow. So they evacuated uh, several buildings of Clackamas Community College. It's not known when people can return to their education. They may miss several days of knowledge at so, the uh, Clackamas Community College. Well, I went I went to their page and it's called My Clackamas. <laughs> oh my Clackamas. <laughs> It's funny that no one, it's almost hard to believe no one's written an OKLAHOMA okay, song about that. Uh-huh. Oh, mine clackamass. Yeah. My clackamass is killing me. Oh, that's wonderful. My, do, and the idea that anything would end in clackamass.edu yeah. is more than a little amazing. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. So, uh, hopefully that won't thwart I any. guess it's easy to register for classes there. Hopefully that won't. It says they have international <laughs> students. Hopefully that won't. That won't interfere with their plans to have some genius create the carb tomorrow. I hate to think that uh, hate to think that it's being thwarted by interrupting classes at the Clackamas Community College. Wow, who did I just talk to the other day that's that's getting that's going to college? Uh, I got to be very careful about this. I hope it was I can't remember who it was. So I hope it wasn't somebody we like. Wait, wait, somebody we know is getting a college degree like on, on the internet. Ooh, I do know who it was. Uh, should I say it? Absolutely. Sure. Okay, I won't say the college. Should I say the person? Wait, hold on. Let's yeah. let let's let fate decide. Well, we can say they're going to Clackamas Community College. Oh, I have my job. I twenty sided my D twenty. Okay, there you go. Okay, attention, uh, attention, nerds in the house. We're now going to roll a D twenty and let the dice of destiny decide whether we uh, decide whether we reveal their name or not. Again, the dice of destiny. All right, All right, how are we going to do it? Or should I roll it? Uh, well, what, what are we, how are we going to decide, though? In other All words, right, it's, it's a 20-sided die. If it's an odd number, we tell. If we'll it's say an the name. number, we don't. Okay. All right. Uh, it's an odd number, we tell? Yes. Okay. So odd, we reveal their name, even we don't. All right. Here we go. By right. the way, you can play the best drinking games with a D20 as well. Really? All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. An even number. Ah, uh, boo. I think you should still say their name. Scott Daly. Uh, he's going to Clackamas Community College. No, he's going to, well... It's Clackamas? Yeah, it's Clackamas. It's everyone's Clackamas, Sarah. It's about time he did something about that Clackamas. Today, we're all Clackamanians. Um, the, uh, no, Scott Daly's getting, quote, a college degree, end quote, online. For what? I don't really know the answer to that, actually. Um, he's going to college on the internet. And then there was, like, a whole discussion about, no, 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 it's a real college. And everybody in the room kind of went, mm-hmm, and we nodded our heads. If I had to go to – I'd go on the internet. Well, no, so would I. Person. No, seriously. I mean, just sit in the classroom. Really? You know I'm, we're all going to have to go back to college. Totally. <laughs> With people throwing paper airplanes at one another. No, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not I'm not knocking – doing it. I mean, no, you know, further if, education. If you can get a college degree that, like, people will actually pay attention to online, you know, like, if you – in other words – you know, you like one of those there where you send away. PS, I think PSU offers that, and they're credible. Well, this is what, but you know, it's like you used to be able to send away and become a church or the Universal Brotherhood priest, like from the back of Rolling Stone for like five dollars. Mm-hmm. But that, like, no one really, no one, like that was only good if you're going to do some hippie wedding. Yeah. Write a song poem. Exactly. Be published. So, so I, there have been in the past courses you could take, like correspondence courses. But that, like, you know, if you took that into a business, hey, Microsoft, they took a correspondence course in C plus plus or whatever, like they would just get out. Um, so I don't know if this is like a uh, if this is a degree that actually carries some real weight to it. St. Helens, Yale. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the uh, it's part of the St. John's Ivy League chain of schools. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, that's wonderful. Uh, well, in any event, um, well, we wish people all the best. They wish to further their education. Anywho, but he claims it's like a real degree that carries some weight. And so if you can get one of those online, and I mean this with all sincerity, go for it. I, that's fine with me. I mean, so much the better, you know, maximize your time. But doesn't it seem even now in 2008 that... Getting a college degree over the internet, it just feels a little fishy. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying that just it's you know what it is. It's sort of like, and I think this is gone. I think this, I think we are in the last stages of this. You know, there was a time, you know, in, even up in the last few years, where I think don't you think there was a stigma if you told somebody, well, uh, yeah, well, how'd you meet? Oh, we met online, you know. And I think if you told somebody you met boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife online. I think that there was a there was a bit of a people would look askance at that, or people thought it was weird or strange. Not anymore. No, not no, absolutely. No more or less in the bar. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, you, it, you just avoid two steps out of four steps. Exactly, because before one to four. there was there was bar, there was office, there was church, and then there was the random meet cute encounter where you both reach for the same bag of luggage at the airport and one of you sashing coocher. So there was that. But now you can't meet people at work. A lot of people don't go to church anymore. So there's basically a bar where, by definition, you're just going to meet some bar guy. Um, so I think meeting people online is no longer looked down on. I think there was a little snobbery about that for a bit. But now... Not at all. I don't I don't believe it is at all. I have a lot of friends who have a hard time meeting somebody, and that's right. the only... I mean, if the Internet... All of our life now is basically totally. on the Internet. There's no shame in that. I that's mean, the thing. I hate that stigma. Just like I, how you and I talk about having therapists. Like, yes. you know, times change, people change. You. They've weeded out all the axe murderers. That's... You would like to think, anyway. I think MySpace will probably be doing a better job of that from now on. So... Yeah, so just like there's no more shame about meeting somebody online, maybe we have reached the point where there's no shame about getting your college degree on the Internet while you're sitting right. there in your boxer shorts. Oh, uh, I don't think so. It depends on the people involved. I suppose. I that is you can meet the wrong people online, wrong people in bars. Sometimes the wrong people in bars become the right people online. That's true. This is true. And, you know, I used to drag my hungover ass to class every day. I mean, I would much rather just... You know, if you Be can, home get with a hangover again. Education. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of you getting a degree while drinking. Uh, the answer is B. Ugh. Hey, fill me up over here. Um, well, look, I that seems to be a better use of one's time. Though. I'm not. And I, yeah, I'm not trying to cast aspersions. Look, as as I said, I, the only reason I graduated from high school is because I took correspondence courses. So that's a. I mean, you know. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna think less. It's just. It is just one of those uh, technology marches on kind of things. Anyway, so the point is, how do I get my Clackamas password? Stop by recall. The password is. The password is fail. Then click on change password, and then I forgot my password. <laughs> I like how people can clack him within the space of a second and a half. You've forgotten it. I know. Well, my you password is it. next screen. I've forgotten my password. You have a better chance of getting a my clack of his password by saying you forgot it. Jesus. They the password them. is shame. Uh, all right, so they're definitely... Where do I buy books? <laughs> what is a book? Click here if you have never purchased a book. All right. Click here if these books will need to be read to you by someone older. Where do I buy books, really? Yeah. I mean, look, I know that maybe culture comes to some cities uh, later than others. Where do I buy books? I know that sometimes lexicon can be a little confusing. <laughs> a bookstore! All right. When you're, not, when you're not busy talking to the murder police. Jesus, God. Well, there you go. So they're working very, very hard to save the... Uh, to save the... Clackamas Community College, right now. Free career workshops at WorkSource Clackamas. WorkSource Clackamas. Okay. It even has its own logo. That's wonderful. It looks like the unemployment guy. Okay. All right. Well, let's move along to other things. All right. Let's go to the coup. Fantastic. 
Ah, uh, here's uh, Tim Riley. The principal of Clark County Prairie High School in the Coop is cracking down on dirty dancing. Principal Jason Perrin says sexually explicit dance moves are causing these students and faculty to feel uncomfortable. Which one is it? Have you guys seen the way kids dance these days? Really? No. Honestly, did you just say that? I'm, I, so, you know what? I'm 28 and I sound like an old person. I don't care. It's disgusting. Have you heard the way that Sarah Dillon talks <laughs> these days, Tim? It's like she's all aged and crotchety. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, Steve, crotchety. That's like what, it's like <laughs> so gross. It's crotchy. It's, it's very crotchy, but it's like, it's the girls, which I've, I've always thought this was gross. This isn't an old person thing. This is a me thing. Like when those girls turn around mm-hmm. and like bend over and stick their butts up in the air and like, I've never... Wow. And then they start a fire by rubbing their hands together? Yes, that's what they do. That's bad. I've never, I've never seen that. It's disgusting. And, like, and you see the reaction to it. Are you talking about butt fires? Wow. No, butt fires? What are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe I misheard. Let's stop for a second. Here's what Sarah just did. <laughs> I'm only saying it because I can't explain it any better than this. So we were talking about... This is in the Couve? Yes. Are these high schoolers? Yes, they are. All right. So it's even gone from the coop all the way to battleground. God damn! No, spreading. The students feel pressure to take part in sexually explicit dance moves, and it's becoming dangerous. Well, uh, first of all, let's all picture people in battleground getting their rub on. Um, Considering people we know from battleground. I didn't say that, Tim. You said that. You stop it over there. Uh, the, um, Okay, so we were just talking about these the dirty dancing uh, that we have at the, some of the schools, apparently. And then Sarah said, do you see the way kids dance these days? Well, it's a gateway dance to other things, apparently. <laughs> and then I said, what are you talking about? And you were saying that there's apparently a dance where the girls bend over, and then Sarah did this. She goes, you know, the girls bend over, and then she put her hands together and did the Mr. Miyagi. Like that. And I said, what? And she said, and then... Yeah, it sounds like spontaneous combustion. And here, Well, and then, and then this is what Sarah said. Sarah said... And then the result is, and then she just pointed her finger up, <laughs> which I'm sure could mean any number of things. It did, like they, and then they look up. Like you look at the ceiling. Or the principal points his finger at you to say, hey, stop that. But seriously, that's, they do things on the dance floor that you don't do, you know. In your bedroom? <laughs> that you would do in your parents' basement after, like, you know, kissing a boy for a few weeks. How? Uh, really? Life in Bremerton is slow, isn't it? Oh, it was classy. Um, okay, but how do you know this? Have you? I mean, have you seen kids do this? Wherever yes, you? and I've been to like horrible bars where it's not just kids; it's like people my age. Oh, really? That's just oh, that's just sad. And it's just sad. And like girls will also do the dance thing where they like the guy will be dancing and then they'll slink all the way down his body until they're face to face with the crotch, with the crotch, and then like be all like wiggly and then go back up as and though they're simulating it as some kind of a sexual act. Yes, yeah, so they'll do the face to the crotch and then go up and then turn around and then stick the the butt out and like. Rub it all over. It's like, it's disgusting. Ah. It's like some kind of weird mating ritual, and then you get to see how, you know, if the guy's enjoying it or not. Because Well, it is. I mean, let's be honest. Let's not be, you know, it is, I mean, I think everybody would agree. I think sociologists and anthropologists would agree that dancing is a sort of mating ritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I know, now I sound like Marlon Perkins, you know, all through. You said mating ritual, and I said these kids today. But I mean, old people. but I mean, but all, but all, you know, what all creatures do this, but you know, they're talking about like butterflies or whatever. Like, you know, they do, where they do weird crap, like the butterfly will. You'll fly in a, in a circle eight pattern and then land for three seconds and then fly in a circle eight again. You know, and this is a specialized dance he does to attract a mate. So, I mean, we, so that's clearly what this is. I mean, humans, like everybody else, I mean, you and everybody, humans have their, humans also have their plumage and rituals. Humans? Uh, so, 
Okay, and this is a weird statement. I don't have kids, so I can say things like this. See, to me, it's actually less creepy if, like, teenagers are doing it. You know what I mean? It is less creepy with teenagers. Because teenagers are just, they're all... But they're singing on a Saturday night at some, like, douchey club downtown. But, but, but if, you're in a, if you're a grown-up, I mean, if you're a grown-up doing that, like, in a club, I'm not, it's not like I'm offended by it. I'm not a prude. But it's like, if you're a teenager and you're doing some dirty, humpy kind of dancing, I mean, I don't necessarily want to see it. And if I was a parent, I guess I'd be all jacked up about it, because that's what you got to do when you're a parent. You got to be, when you're a parent, you got to be horrified by things. I never, you know... I never t- – I don't even have genitals. Like when you're a parent, you have to just pretend that everybody's sexless. But but when you're a teenager and you do it, I guess it's it's less creepy because this, because the reality that people don't like to admit is teenagers, that's what teenagers do. It's what teenagers did then. It's what teenagers are doing right now. Right now. Right now. Are we on holiday break yet? We're not on holiday break yet, but I mean sure. soon. You know what happens on holiday break. Mm. Long nights of love in a dumpster behind the sherries. In a so, dumpster? <laughs> wow, Kennewick sounds glamorous. Hide from prying eyes, Sarah. <laughs> um, but, you know, but teenagers are just, you know, as, um, as, as Steven Tyler once said, you're just a hormone and a sneaker. So it's kind of less creepy because I guess that is what teenagers do. Because you just, uh, you know, or you're very much run by your hormones at that point for a long period of time. And I'm not saying you should, but it's, but it's not creepy because it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It is. It is a natural thing that teenagers do because you haven't quite learned how to harness, you know, all of your uh, all your impulses. But so like, you learn mm-hmm. inside the dumpster at Cherry's. That's Tim. That's uh, pie. That's where many lessons are learned. So romantic. I have great memories. Of uh, that's where much knowledge is imparted. Did you really? Well, you were just joking, right? What? You really didn't do anything inside a dumpster. No, you? no. But I'm just joking about like you know. But but you now know, but, we're encouraging people to do this in dumpsters. <laughs> But I mean, but that's the thing when you're a teenager, right? When you're a teenager, it's like any, any place getting away from your parents because you don't have a car can't be renting. Like, you know, you can't be like, let's go to the Sheraton for the weekend. Like you can't, there's nothing, there's nothing. There is like the basement. There is like some, you know, some hideaway. There's like some, you know, let's go to the art supplies closet, you know, during fifth period or whatever. Um, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and, and because like as a teenager, you have these two sort of warring aspects of your life one is that like uh, all your hormones are like you really got to be having sex right now no really sir, dude dude don't do that homework dude come on we ought to be out getting dude uh, you know and you're like you can't get anything done but on the other hand you've got society saying like well look you're going to be monitored every moment of your life and you have to live at home and your parents are lame and you don't have a car and you don't have any money Ooh, and you look really really bad too because your face is terrible and uh, and you don't know how to dress yet Ooh, and you might be fat Sorry about that. So you got the two like, I ought to be having sex, and then you got the two like, I don't have anywhere to have sex. So, which is why teenagers end up just like you, any chance, any chance you get, which in turn is why they end up on a dance floor. You know what I mean? So that being, it, you know, it's a little distasteful to watch. Can we also say that? Again, I'm not a prude, but no, I don't, don't want to watch a couple grinding to, it out. That's the problem. It's like I don't need to see that. Like that's something you can do in the comfort of your own home or car right. or bathroom or whatever. Just not out in front of everybody else. Like, I don't want to see you exciting somebody. It's like that's the thing. It's like you know, uh, unless you know. Uh, speaking of uh, whatever, uh, we were talking about Richie Bristol. Look, it, if y'all want to go to the, uh, the, 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 the the swingers club or the swingers party or whatever, that's fine. You know why? Everybody there is into seeing the same kind of things. But it's like, but it's like if you're on the bus. You remember this? You're on the bus, and there's some couple in front of you just full on, just making out. Just, and you're like, you know, th- take it outside, friend. Take it somewhere else. So as a teenager, you don't have any other opportunity. Why do you do that? As an adult, 
A, you want to know that not everybody wants to see uh, you trying to get your boyfriend all uh, cranked up. And B, like, it makes it, here's the other thing. When you're like one of those uh, club uh, club people, you know, and, and, and if you walk through Portland on a Friday night or Saturday night, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. <laughs> too much cologne, too much makeup, shirt unbuttoned way too, way too low, sometimes too much fake tanning you know, on men and women. Too much hair product, you too know. Blonde, too white of teeth, too much. Yeah, too Seriously, much. Makeup. Too much of everything. A watch. Too short of skirts. Completely. A shiny watch the size with a face the size of a dinner plate that is like hanging onto your fingers. I mean, it, you know, and it's those, and it's like those, and they're always like in their mid to late twenties, go into the club, and then they're like, you know, doing and then doing the grinding. And here's the thing: if you're one of those people, I'm gonna tell you right now, you look like a retard. I mean, you look like a retard anyway. But I mean, doing the dance makes you look desperate to look younger and hipper than you are. Mm -hmm. Because here's the, the sad reality is, after 25, I mean, after the age of 25, it's not that you can't be cool after the age of 25. Sarah's proof of this. Tim himself, very stylish. Nice. After the age of 25, you can still be cool, but there's certain avenues of coolness that are just closed off to you. You know, it's like, once, really, once you leave high school, once you leave adolescence, there are certain kinds of coolness that you just cannot achieve anymore. It's just that that door is, it's like when you complete a level in a video game, and that door is closed, can't go back. Uh, just like, look, here's the thing. If you're not, if you're not playing in the, if you're not playing in the NBA by the time you're like, uh, you know, whatever it is, like 25, I would imagine, 30, you're not going to be, uh, you know, a pro athlete. It's not going to happen. If you're not a rock star by the time you're 30, not going to become a rock star. It's just, the odds are the odds are that it's not going to happen. And when you leave uh, adolescence, there are certain kinds of public uh, displays of affection and certain things you you can do that you cannot look cool at them anymore. And this is one of them. So what are they doing to stop this, Tim? They're asking these kids to sign a contract. Are you kidding me? Really? Is this another one of those? This is one of those save it for marriage contracts. Uh huh. Save the dirty dancing for marriage. Really. You know what we ought to do? We ought to uh, tell all the kids they got to start doing the lambada, the lambada, be because you know that's exactly the frame of reference for these like old ass school administrators, just joyless prudes, all of them. Uh, who, that's the thing. You know these kids are doing that lambada, the forbidden dance. We have to stop them from doing that. So, all right, well there you go. So you know whatever. Somebody just sent us an email that said, Rick and Sarah, I love hearing you get old. I, you know, hey, I'm, hey, I'm, is gross at any age. I don't, I just don't want to see it. I'm not in denial about that. I am in no denial. I've been a curmudgeon forever, but I've all, but I would say even then, even back when I was younger, I, I had the whole thing about, you know, like you're in the school hallway and there's some, some couple that are like pushed up against a locker between periods and you're just trying to get your math book. You know what I mean? You're next to them going 15, 5, 72. Crap. And you can't, and you're distracted by the fact that there's like this metal on metal sound from this couple, you know, like trying to hump it out against this locker next to you in the four minutes you got to get from one class to another. Anyway. And popcorn was only a nickel. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's talk about this uh, tanning salon worker arrested for sexually abusing a customer. Happened to McBinville. Just if I can interrupt for a second. Richie, I once again can't see the. I apologize to people who are on hold, and I'm not even really. I, if you're on hold today and the call isn't getting picked up, I apologize. That's largely my fault, uh, but also I'm not seeing on the screen when calls are on hold. So I apologize. I'm just not seeing some of those calls today. I don't mean to make everybody wait today. All right, here's Tim Riley. A McBinville tanning salon employee allegedly tried to help a customer apply spray on tanning 
while she was naked without her permission. McMinnville police arresting Michael Ray Raton. Michael Ray! He's only 22. He's from Carlton. On charges, he sexually abused a customer at Bronze Body Tanning Salon. The victim was an 18-year-old woman. She told police that Raton entered her private tanning room while she was still undressed. I want to enter your private tanning room. And insisted on wiping down a spray tan-on application to ensure a good tan. The contact was unsolicited, and he fondled her breast and genitals. He's been jailed, and he faces two counts of sexual abuse, three, and one count of privacy uh, invasion. There may be other victims out there. If you went to Bronze Body, contact the police department. Now, these are allegations, mind you. Allegations, and we don't know that they're founded. Uh, He's innocent until proven guilty, of course. But, I mean, I was going to ask, if you're in a tan, well, first of all, don't those rooms lock? When you're getting a tan, isn't that room locked? I think so. It's like a it's like a, a room where you're getting a massage or something. I think that's locked, so like some guy can't go. And here we, ooh, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt. You know, whatever. <coughs> Pardon me. Also, I mean, I guess you could be intimidated. I guess if you're a woman, if this is true, and we don't know that it is, I guess there's something to be said for the fact that if a guy comes in, you know, that maybe you're intimidated and you don't feel like you can ask him to, to stop or whatever. But but it seems like if a guy's like, look, I need to rub on this tanning lotion, I think that Sarah probably would say, no, I'm fine. You know, and if a guy goes, no, 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 and I need to put it there. She goes, no, really. And he goes, and I need to put it there. She goes, no, seriously, and I don't even tan in there, you know. <laughs> I mean, that it seems true. maybe if this is true, maybe she was intimidated and didn't feel that she could ask him to stop. But that, that's just a little weird sounding. And, it, and can we all agree there are certain places you don't need a tanning lotion, like on uh, the inside of anything. Maybe he didn't know that. <laughs> and here's the light bulb for that. Uh-huh. All right, Tim Riley. There's been a $100,000 fire in Southeast. 25 firefighters responded to an explosion in heavy smoke last night shortly after 9 at 622 Southeast 146th Avenue. Firefighters are told two people had re-entered a burning duplex and that a live power line was hindering across the structure. They disconnected the power. Two people went back in after the fire started for some reason. Maybe to save their pets, Tim. Could be. Uh, The middle-aged man was treated at the scene for minor burns and transported to the hospital. They don't know what caused the explosion or why they ran back inside. Oh, I think I see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, three murders in two weeks in Southeast have people very angry in that neck of the woods. At Tuesday night, people of Southeast packed a town hall meeting with police bureau detectives and administrators to vent frustration and demand answers. <clears throat> what is their answer? <laughs> I don't really know. What answer would they like? And I mean... They can't bring these people back to life. They've been murdered. I, uh... What question? Well, okay. First of all, I wasn't told about any town hall meeting. Where is that? Is there like a community cork board somewhere that I wasn't told about? I guess so. Is that like right below the need car ride companion to Tacoma? Mm-hmm. Where? Why would? How would I even have heard about this town hall meeting? First of all, where do they announce the town hall meeting? Why didn't I hear about it? And thirdly, who are these people that scour wherever it is you scour to find out when? I can't wait for the next town hall meeting. The last one was a real barn burner. Bring snacks. I mean, who they would even sandwich boards in my neighborhood? They were out last night, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah. Who would even be monitoring the places where they post upcoming town hall meeting? Info? I don't know. All right. But apparently, there are three maniacs on the loose, uh, killing the people of Southeast Portland, and they want to put a stop to it. How do they know there are three maniacs? There are three murders, so they think there are three separate killers. Oh wait, so what were the murders? Do they describe? Do they tell about the crimes? Basically, I yeah, want to know if this is in my backyard, right. Tim Riley. Well, there's one. Uh, let's see here. Southeast 160th Avenue at Southeast Stark. Well, that's to no one's surprise. 
and uh, I don't have the address. For well, seriously, I think ever like a third of all Southeast crimes in the last month mm-hmm. have been on 160th and Stark. Wait, Sarah, you know, uh, you know what's at 160th and Stark? Yeah. That place scared me. Yeah. I was too. scared every time I was there. Me too. Even well, in the middle of the day. Yes. One of the neighbors said, maybe we'll start a vigilante group. Really? Did they actually yes, say they that? said that, yes. Good for them. I mean, I'm not, the night. I'm not encouraging that you start Take vigilantism. The oh, the day. Seriously, I was going to say, it's not. Or any time. Take back, yeah. Take back uh, 2 p.m. Uh, uh, Bob, I'm going to take back uh, mid-afternoon. Can you take back early morning, But except for next Wednesday, because i got to pick up the dog uh, for the groomer. I can take back early morning, like the week after that, for you if you need time off. Mary is going to take back dusk. Now, we don't have anybody to take back uh, the swing shift, so that still needs to be handled. So if you know anybody, or I guess we could split that up and rotate shifts there. You just let me know. Uh, so there's that. Does it say where the other two killings were? No. I'm assuming they were also on 116th and Stark. I mean, that's just my default now. All right. Was well, that like the woman who was found under the bus? Like those those, those killings? The woman under the bus. I don't remember that. Remember they? So they like the woman who swallowed her, a fly. Like, somebody was walking by, and it was it was out in that area, and the people had heard gunshots, but they never reported it. Uh-huh. No. And then there was a woman oh, body found I do under the remember bus. that. Yeah. No, I don't know about that. All right. Well, in any event, here's Tim Riley. So this is kind of interesting. When I steal stories from people, I tell you who it's from. It's from K2. Okay. Because good. we know people there, and if they get mad, well, they know where to come. All right. But this was too good to pass up. Dark details emerging at about a son in Clark County. Involved in a murder-suicide. Donald Wassler devoted his life to caring for his six-aged mother. He cooked her meals, took her to doctor's appointments, managed her affairs. He was a loyal citizen who volunteered on several community boards, including the Neighborhood Association. But court reports show a darker side to the 58-year-old man who lived with his mother. They interviewed several who knew him, and sometimes he was a bit too devoted, to the point where his behavior became paranoid, intense, controlling. He was mentally ill, says Bud, who served alongside uh, the man on the Neighborhood Association of Clark County, and uh, he'd known him for 12 years. There was something that wasn't quite right about him, something that set him apart from people you met on the street. It was hard to predict. Well, on Monday, Donald R. Bossler snapped. The investigators believe he shot and killed his 86-year-old mother, Evelyn, his pet cat, and then himself. The shootings came less than an hour after he sent an email to local media and court officials venting about a guardianship case that restricted his duties as his mother's personal caretaker. So this sounded like a son too attached to mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evelyn Wassler died of two gunshot wounds. Donald Wassler died of a single self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. So they received an incomplete 911 call to come to the Wassler home. They found uh, Donald Wassler's body in the entryway. His mother's in the bedroom. A handgun was recovered. Donald was his mother's full-time living caretaker. He didn't have any outside work. He never married. Evelyn suffered from dementia and was bedridden. His sister, who lives in the Dells, filed a petition asking for the appointment of a guardian to oversee the care of their mother. She raised concern about the care being provided by her brother. Amid her concerns were sanitation problems yeah. and Donald's dangerous medical condition. Well. He was undergoing treatment for mental illness. So this is one of those, uh, it seems to me, just my uh, observation, my uh, editorial observation protected by the First Amendment. This is one of those 
son, you know, and the son has an unusually close uh, relationship with and attachment to mother mm -hmm. and doesn't want anyone to come between mother and myself. Mm -hmm. No one understands me like mother does. A boy's best friend is his mother. Mother loves me. You done? <laughs> mother will always love me. That no one should stop a boy from seeing his mother. That was well done and very dramatic. Yes. Well, I'm just saying that. I mean, you, you, you that you sort of lured me into the scene. <laughs> I made you believe. <laughs> you made me believe. I see. You suspended your disbelief, Tim. Well, that I mean, that is an image that you see a lot of times in popular culture, not just the Norman Bates thing, but like you know, like Wayland Smithers. I think is that way. Is Wayland Smithers the one who's got like a strange attachment to his mother? No, it's 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 uh, it's Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner has that weird, oh, but mother, I, uh, now you'll wear short pants again today. That's what you get for being disobedient. Yes, mother. So that's, that image is everywhere because I think, just like we all know the crazy cat lady, I think everybody knows or knows of the, uh, boy who loves his mother very much. <laughs> She's in the fruit cellar right now. She can't come up. <laughs> all right, well, should we do one more to lift the mood or should we let it be creepy all through the break? It's up to you. What do you think? Well, I, I should let it be creepy all through Your the break. Your name is on the program. Well, you make the decision. I'll tell you what. Enjoy the creep. Uh, we'll come back after this. More news from Tim Riley. We're going to talk about fat Germans too obese to fight. <laughs> That's a good During thing, though. <laughs> back after this, uh, plus uh, breaking traffic news, apparently. Later on, Steve Kassinger. Don't go anywhere. Talker. Um, Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, back from sabbatical. Uh, let's see what else. Greatest songs ever made. More of your phone calls. Ah, sorry. Little thing there. Uh, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Don't forget one random on your color today wins pair run of engagement passes to Guy Ritchie's. Rock and roll. I think we have a traffic update. Wait, hold on. Let me get the traffic sounder. Wait, what? What? Uh, and what do we play? Let's see. I gotta, you know, I gotta make these mutual sounders like a. Uh... All right. All right. What is your traffic update, sir? Northeast 21st and Broadway is suffering from a rollover accident. Injuries are reported. So this... Avoid Northeast. 21st and Broadway. Northeast 21st and Broadway. Rollover accident with injuries. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Yes. All right. And, by the way, the greatest thing about the Jubitz truck stop, they serve a rasher of bacon. Excellent. Rasher of bacon. Is that like a side of beef? Dude, I don't know how much bacon's in a rasher, but uh, I'm sure somebody in the audience knows. All right. I'll have to look into it. All right. Thank you. All right. Rasher. I barely knew her. All right. Can I tell you one thing that will make you so super jealous right now? Mm. I am so jealous. My sister just wrote me from New York. Her coworker was just on Cash Cab. Oh, damn it. But she won 500 bucks. Damn it. Oh. That is so frustrating. Did she take the bonus question? I just wrote that. I'm like, did she take the bonus question? And I haven't heard back from her. I'm like, I want to know if she took it or not. And so uh, now here's the thing. We got to get the uh, we got to get the coworker on the show. Okay. Because I've never known it. I mean, we've talked to we've talked to Dana to Ben Bailey from Cash Cab. I could call Heather and see if. But we got. I've never known. She it. just did it this morning. Do too. you know anybody who's ever been on never. Cash Cab? No. 
shouldn't we talk to that? Because, look, we love the show, which is enough. So, uh, and we've had him on, but we've never had anybody on who's been on Cash Cap. You totally got to do that. I'll get that done. Wonderful. All right, here's Tim Riley. So revisiting a story, even though this happened a long time ago, you'll remember it when I tell you about it. The man charged in connection with a bizarre bank robbery in Pennsylvania in 2003 will get 45 years in federal prison. Kenneth Barnes and Marjorie Deal Armstrong are accused of forcing pizza delivery man Brian Wells to wear a bomb collar around his neck. Oh, yeah. And... Robin Erie Bank. So he was, so they sent the guy to the bank. He's a pizza delivery guy. The, 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 They're showing this live on TV. I remember that. Part. Yeah, the allegation was they got the pizza guy. They said, hey, we need a pizza. He showed up and said, ah, we don't really need a pizza. But, and then they put a bomb collar on him and sent him to the bank. And he had to go like, look, I got this bomb collar on me. You got to give me some money. These people are going to blow it up and I'll die. Right? That was right. the deal. And, but, and moments before the bomb went off, he told police he was forced to wear it at gunpoint and he died in the blast. Yeah. Ugh. I forgot all about that. That's one of those stories that, I, that was so I horrifying, I think I just repressed it. Oh, yeah. I remember watching that on TV, though. Wow. This world is a messed up place. It really is. All right. In December 1972, when a less complicated president might have relished the big election victory a month earlier, Richard Nixon had enemies on his mind. One of them, North Vietnam, would soon be reigned with bombs. Nixon's other foes merely received, well, his diatribe. Never forget... Nixon tells National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger in a taped Oval Office conversation just revealed yesterday. So they released some new tapes. The press is the enemy. The establishment is the enemy. Well, the professors are the enemy. Write that on the blackboard 100 times and you'll never forget it. And so who, to whom is he speaking? Kissinger. Okay, so this is him talking to Kissinger. Mm-hmm. All right. Kissinger, by the way, who, is, uh, who was a professor, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So they, 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 now, this from the Nixon Library. So this, they just released these from his personal library. 200 hours of White House tape recordings. Uh, oh, they're online, some of these. Okay. Oh, man. And, uh, let's see, 90,000 pages of documents. But, I mean, you know, the, well, the documents probably matter less because that's just, I mean, the, the Nixon White House was just famous for, I mean, the, mem- the memoranda just flowed like the River Ganges mm-hmm. in that place. So, you know, you're probably not going to see anything good there. The thing about the Nixon tapes, though, is... I mean, I forget, as of, I think, 1996, 1997, something like that, I mean, of the, like, 5 billion hours, there was something like 45 hours that had been made public. I mean, really, and you've got to imagine, here's the thing, if they're willing to release Richard Nixon, and this is a voluntary give-up, right? They're like, this is not something he handed over to the government. Mm-hmm. So if, if the Nixon estate, and you got to wonder who's even running that at that point. Is it got to be, like, his daughter or something, yeah. or Tr- Tricia Nixon? Mm-hmm. So if the Nixon estate is willing to put up a tape in which Richard Nixon, the teachers are the enemy, and you know, also the media, and the establishment, you, like what else is on those tapes that is just so horrifying? That, I mean, if you're still trying to protect the character and public image of Richard Nixon, how bad can the tapes be? They must be awful. They must be awful beyond all imagining if they're so bad that the theory is they might damage the public image of Richard Nixon. Oh, and then Pat Buchanan from back then, wrote him a letter saying, from an excellent source in Alabama comes word, George Wallace is getting psychotic. He's uh, not what he used to be, whatever that meant. <laughs> he's not, he he's seems not to have lost some of his crazy racist tendencies. He must be going, moxie as he, used he must be insane. Uh, he's no longer standing in schoolhouse doors, as, uh, doors as, no longer standing in the doors of schoolhouses blocking integration. He must be psychotic. Good God. And he described the Peace Corps as a, as a hotbed of Kennedy Schreiber types. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about Nixon is, 
just for such a horrible, unrepentantly evil man. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds strange, but he was just kind of likable because he was just he was just so bent and crooked in every way that I mean it almost became he was just sort of funny. I guess I mean that's the thing. I mean, I guess if you were on his enemies list, it was less funny because you'd wake up and there was some guy rifling through your drawers and setting fire to your car. Did you ever hear that? Remember that thing they were going to do? There's this guy, Jack Anderson, who wrote for the New York Times. He was a, he was a columnist of the Washington New York Times. Washington Round. Exactly. And Jack Anderson started publishing these things called the Pentagon Papers. And the Pentagon Papers were a series of leaked documents basically showing what all Americans kind of suspected, which was the Vietnam War was going badly. And that we were getting our asses handed to us. And I, at one point, and this is a matter of historical record, you can go check this. At one point, they were so irritated that Jack Anderson kept publishing the Pentagon Papers, they were trying to figure out how to get him killed somehow. And, they, the, and the Nixon White House, in the person of G. Gordon Liddy, had worked up this plan. I swear to Christ, your government did this. They had worked up this plan to coat the steering wheel of Jack Anderson's car with liquid LSD so that he would have some sort of freak out while he was driving and get into a car wreck and then, hey, I don't know, I guess he's dead. Look at that. I mean, that's what the president and his henchmen sat around doing. So, Jesus. And that's just the stuff we found out about. Mm-hmm. I love Richard Nixon. I really love Nixon's back. He, uh, especially because now I always just picture the Nixon head on the big robot body in, the, in Futurama. That's great. Well, if we get any audio from those, I'd like to hear it. All right. And you got to imagine, I mean... Here's the other thing about Nixon, and I know I'm like the billionth person to speculate on this, but it's like he couldn't have forgotten the taping system was there. He had it installed. He's the one who put it there. He must have known. He had to have known everything he was saying was going on to tapes and duplicate tapes, actually, because and this is they do. They this is a fact and they do actually depict this in the movie Nixon. There was this guy. I think two guys who traded off, kind of a morning Sam, morning Ralph kind of a thing. Like they're, and it was onto these little reel-to-reel recorders like you used to have. And there was like a guy who would go in at noon, take off the tape, put on a brand new tape, hit record, put the old tape in a box, file it, label it, stick it away. And then there was a guy who come in at midnight, take off the old tape, put on the new tape, file it, label it, stick it away. And they always had two tape recorders running on every room that was bugged. So like literally every single second... Of, of his white of the White House was was recorded, and Nixon must have been aware of this. So he either just I don't know got so used to it that he didn't really think about it, or he just didn't care because there's those tapes that came out a few years ago where it's Richard Nixon talking to um, uh, talking uh, to um, uh, Billy Graham, man of God, about how the Jews are running everything, uh, you know, running the country and the weather or whatever it is, whatever it is that people like that always think the Jews are running. Um, you know, and, and which that's another thing that I think the, I think the Nixon estate actually released at one point. We're like, well, people hate him anyway. We've got to give them something. Give him this thing with Billy Graham. Jesus. All right, well, there you go. That's uh, that's Nixon. Here's so the, the Frost Nixon movie is just about out, isn't it? Well, well did I, were you here when Don Taylor had the DVD of it? Oh, yeah, that's She right. was sitting right next to us with a copy of Frost Nixon on DVD because she is... She gets all that for your consideration stuff. She gets those advance mm-hmm. uh, DVDs for you know for Oscar nominations, and she kind of held it right in front of me and described herself as being a disc tease. Said, Look at this, Frost Nixon. I'm gonna go home and watch it tonight, Rick Emerson. So I'm and waiting to hear what. Four stars out of four. I, it, apparently, it's fantastic. I Directed mean, by Ron Howard. You know, Ron Howard, uh, Da Vinci Code notwithstanding, Ron Howard doesn't make bad movies. Okay. He doesn't. 
I can't think of a bad Ron Howard film. You can say Da Vinci Code, and maybe, maybe you could say uh, Willow, depending on how old you were when you saw it and how forgiving you are of some of the conceits of that film. Uh, Ron Howard doesn't make bad movies, and Frank Langella, that guy's a fantastic actor. Oh, yeah. And not just yeah. in Good Night and Good Luck. He's, you know, he was, uh, Frank Langella was the unbelievably creepy uh, Count, whatever his name is, in uh, Lolita. In the Adrian Lyon Lolita, Frank Langella, and he just, and I know that he's, in the, in the movie, he plays this sort of pedophile guy, so he's creepy to begin with, but he has Frank Langella, you know what he can do? And again, if you haven't, if you don't know who Frank Langella is, uh, he's also uh, he's also Perry White in the Superman movies. He's the one that says the Superman still stand for truth, justice, all that stuff. He's that guy, but he's the unbelievably creepy Count. Watch his name on the leader that is like, I have photos of granddaughters, you know. And it's just like you watch his these skin just crawls right off of your body watching that guy act. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Fantastic. Well, first they were told that they they were chicken. They didn't want to fight. Now they're being blamed for failing in their main mission to train the Afghan police. And now Germany's battered military reputation has received a further humiliating blow. To put it lightly, are you saying, Tim, that the, that the military of Germany might have some previous besmirchment against them? I so. That's what they say. Well, that's hard to believe. According to official reports. <laughs> they, just can't, they just can't win over there, literally and figuratively. The 3,500 troops in northern Afghanistan drink too much and they're too fat to fight. Too fat to fight. Doesn't that sound like a made-for-like-a-lifetime movie? But it would be about a one. Mom, you know that my whole life I've only wanted to serve my country. Hold on. And I can't. They consumed 1.7 million pints of beer <laughs> and 90,000 bottles of wine during the first six months of this year. 896,000 pints of beer were shipped to the German forces in Afghanistan. Well, whose fault is that then? British and U.S. forces in the country enforce a strict ban on alcohol, but not the Germans. And we need 900,000 cases of beer. All right, done. Um, DHL or FedEx? DHL! So the physical condition of the soldiers was already in question. After a German armed forces report found that 40% of its troops aged 18 to 29 are overweight. God damn. Compared to 35% of the civilian population the same age. The report uh, published in March concludes... That the German troops lived on beer and sausages <laughs> while shunning fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Would you like some fruit? Nine! I need more beer. That's wonderful. Oh, they're still there. Just but, uh, getting uh, fat and loaded. Okay, but can I... But I mean, really, first of all, uh, can, can we all just agree here that I, we'd prefer that the Germans be too fat or drunk to fight. When Germans decide to fight, it just ends badly for mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, a pack of athletic Germans doesn't sound very fun. To me. That's what that's what I'm saying. When the, uh, uh, all in all, I'll take sort of uh, Weeble, you know, Germany uh, Germans over like Riefenstahl uh, Germans. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, really, if it's if I get to vote, I'm gonna pick pick fat, useless German military every time, because otherwise, you know, otwise otherwise that goes to a bad place. Then also, why don't we just drop sausages and beer on them instead of bombing their cities totally, in World War II? We totally see. We should have. That's we'll do it next time. Rather than marching into Berlin, we should have just dropped thousands and thousands and thousands of cases of beer and pork. We're like, here you go, here you go. Uh, what was his name? What was um? What was the? Uh, they weren't Ivan. What was the name we gave to the uh, to the, the Jerry's? Were they the Jerry's? Yes. Here you go, Jerry. Drink up. 
There you go. See, and that, and then you would have seen like victory posters, mm-hmm. where it shows like you know a happy fat German. You know, sausages. Well, but but then it would be like to get it would be to get Americans to give up beer and sausage of their own. Oh, yeah. You know, it would be like uh, you know, um, let's see. You know, it would be like um, abstinence for victory. Abstinence for victory, or like, um, you know, less sausage on your let's uh, let's see, less sausage on your plate gives the Hun more weight. Weren't they the Hun? Is that yeah, the other thing they yeah. were called? Yeah. So, or whatever. I mean, it would be, I'm trying to think. You know, something, something, Jerry, blah, 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 fat. So there you go. Anyway, well, I do have to say, though, just now, now that we're done making all the obvious Nazi jokes, because it's what we do, because it's, because this is what you got to do uh, on KCMD Portland. That being said, don't you think it's got to be uniquely tough to be a German soldier in 2008? I mean, let's say you were born in whatever, you know, 1980. Born in 1985. I would say growing up in Germany uh, comes with a unique set of uh, a unique set of image-based challenges. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a perception problem, I think, that Germany probably still has with certain cultures and countries and parts of the world. And especially if you're a German guy in a uniform. I would imagine even now in 2008... There's probably a lot of places in this world where there's a knock at the door and you open it and there's a guy in a German military uniform. That's going to be some tension. I mean, it's going to take a it's going to take a long series of encounter groups with a guy in a cable knit sweater to kind of get you over that. Um, so being a German soldier can't be a whole lot of fun for a lot of reasons, especially if you're being sent to Afghanistan, which you know is a miserable. I mean, nobody likes war, but it's a miserable place to fight. And you can't win there. And you can't win. Nobody can. No, no one can. Not even the not even the Reds. Mm-hmm. And they were evil. Uh, so. That being said, if you're going to be sent to Afghanistan and you have the option of either, well, uh, we could fight or we could order 800,000 cases of beer, we could all drink, eat sausage, and become fat and happy, I'm telling you right now, if you're in the military, you've been sent to war, and you have the option of just sitting around and drinking and getting fat and happy, you do it. Rick Emerson gives you permission. If, if your choice is fight or drink, you can pick drink. You know, and if everybody just chose drink, this world would be a much better place. <laughs> I know you'd have the occasional fisticuffs. But I mean, yeah, occasional. No, but really, I mean, there's whole places in this world where they, they, they just can't wake up. They wake up and they can't. They just cannot wait to start shooting their neighbors in the face for no real reason, and that's when they're sober. Uh, so only drunk on the word of God. So you know, you could do worse than to just say, okay, um, military intervention doesn't work. Uh, you know, sanctions don't work. Diplomacy doesn't work. Look, we're just going to give you lots of booze. We're going to give you booze and maybe some bacon. I mean, I know you're not supposed to eat it. I know that, I know that your God says that it's it's wrong. But I mean, just you know, just, just you can always repent. The Catholics do it. Try the bacon. If you don't like it, you can beg for forgiveness, and then you can still pass through the gates of it. We're going to do beer and bacon, and like maybe like not a stripper, but maybe just like a burlesque girl. You know, maybe she's done a little dance on stage for you, and just try it, and then get back to us. And if you still want to fight and like shoot everybody, then. Then that's great, but just you know, join us on the beer and bacon and burlesque thing, I and mean, give it a go. I think that ought to be the thing. That ought to be. Okay, I'm saying it right now. This ought to be the last, the last sort of warning or step that we give countries before we go in and just clean house and just and just bomb everybody. Because you know, we say, well, like, look, we're going to cut off sanctions or we're going to cut off trade. You know, there'll be there'll be economic sanctions. You won't be able to get food, whatever. Or uh, you're going to be excluded from the UN. Or, you know, you're not going to be able to have trade and export with other countries. And then we always get to the point of, like, and if you don't do this and let the inspectors in, we're just going to come in and we're just going to uh, slaughter everybody. So, you know, stop. But our, our last offer, 
our last sort of olive branch for peace with these countries before we go in and just nuke everybody ought to be we're going to send over uh, lots of booze and weed and uh, DVD players and just a couple real like a Hooters or two. Not strip clubs. You know, I can, I can wait. Whole bunch of strip clubs, lots of hot wings and big boobed girls and like tight shirts. Deep dish pizza, that'll do it. And deep dish pizza. And an Xbox. And one big cheese in the crust. And we'll send everybody an Xbox and you'll all get broadband. And you got and like like live with that for like three months. At the end of three months, if you still want to, you know, kill us because we're Yankee imperialists, then then we then it's on. But you just give this this is our last our last offer to you. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Apparently somebody's slashing the inflatable snow globe, a giant one. This happened in Battleground. They ruined this couple's Christmas spirit. This inflatable snow globe was worth $130. It was in the family's front yard of Northwest Third Way. Vandals slashed a hole in the snow globe and been up for 24 hours. It's been destroyed. Um, wait, no, because they're... I was trying to do like a Vandals took the handles. No, I got nothing. Uh, so where was this at? Battleground, Washington. Well, but this is... Okay, I'm not saying that vandalism is right. It's not. And, of course, uh, if those uh, who did this are caught, they should be punished to the full extent of the law. That being said, was this one of those big, like, inflate where you can hear the generator running in the back? It's like a big inflatable, filled with air, so-called snow globe. Yeah. Those things are hideous. They're, they're hideous. Of my neighborhood of all descriptions. See, but I wouldn't think your neighborhood would allow them because they're tacky looking. And I don't mean tacky the way that some Christmas things can kind of be tacky. I mean, mm-hmm. they look trashy. They do. They're trashy looking. And and this comes from a guy. You Look, you all know me. I embrace trash in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I pick up trash and I clutch it to my bosom. Can't get enough of it. And I say, God bless you, trash. You're what makes this country strong. But there's certain kinds of Christmas decorations. We could probably do a little high-concept thing right here about that. Certain kinds of Christmas decorations that are just one step too trashy. Sarah, a Christmas decoration, cause, can we also say it's a preamble? Lots of Christmas stuff, if not most of it. It's kind of trashy on some. Look, sticking a tree in your house and covering it with blinking lights, it's kind of tacky. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, but don't you agree that there's a certain kind of Christmas decoration that goes beyond the acceptable tacky and just looks trashy? I would say anything, like, I've seen people with, like, wall hangings of, like, Looney Tunes characters and, like, Santa Claus hats. Yeah, that's no good. Like, anything like that, anything with, like, some kind of cartoony, like, you know, established cartoon character, like, making a snowman or something is the grossest thing ever. Yeah, you shouldn't, that's not a thing you should do. Tim, uh, Christmas decorations that are unacceptably tacky. The little signs that say, uh, cookies... Or the other ones, hot chocolate. You think this place is like open for business? Oh, and, and just go in. And it's made to look like it's a like it's a sign outside of Santa's workshop. Yeah. And sometimes the S is backwards. Cookie, yeah. you know, and then the S is. Yeah. I would here's something I would say. Not just first of all anything inflatable. You shouldn't be having something inflatable on your front lawn. Christmas has become an inflatable holiday. It re- we, nothing we can do to stop. Christmas it. has become an inflatable holiday. I have to think on that phrase for a second. Christmas has become an inflatable holiday. That's the kind of you know what that that sounds very profound. It really does. I don't know that it actually means anything, but it sounds like it's very deep. Nothing I say really means anything anyway. But I'm saying it's like a, it seems like there might be some sort of Zen wisdom in that phrase. Mm-hmm. It's like when somebody said that Alanis Morissette played big inflatable rock, and I didn't know what it meant, but at the same time I knew exactly what it meant. All right, yeah. So I think uh, that's an outdoor concert area in Colorado. <laughs> the um, John Tesh plays there. <laughs> I'll be at Inflatable Rock uh, this year. So, 
Uh, yeah, I would say any inflatable Christmas decoration on your lawn. And it, the one that they yeah, sell... Yeah, like the snow globes and stuff. Well, that's exactly what we were yeah. talking about here. Yeah, the, the inflatable snow globe, because A, you can hear the generator ah, running out back to keep the thing inflated <laughs> and to blow the snow around inside. And it looks like one of those things they have at the fair where your kids get inside a bouncy castle, you know, and break their legs. So it looks, here's the other thing they have. They have the big inflatable uh, snowmen, inflatable whatever. You know what I saw one time on a guy's lawn hmm. in Southeast, of course? I saw a big inflatable Scooby-Doo with a Santa hat, which is sort of like your thing of cartoon characters, but it was like inflatable as well. And then there's kind of strangely illuminated from the inside, which is sort of weird. Like I was wondering why they hadn't caught on fire. Also this, here's another thing that I'm caught into. I'm not with big, hard plastic uh like lit up things like a huge hard plastic Santa that is lit up on the inside because the paint is always like chipped and fading away. The paint job never looks very good. It always looks all washed out or you'll get these, the big hard plastic lit up candles on the front lawn. If something's on the front lawn, it should be, I would say relatively small, kind of tasteful, you know, and if it's going to be big, Jesus, and if it's going to be big, it's got to like, have it, it's got to at least kind of look like it was made from scratch or that it's organic in some way. Just the big plug-in, light-up, you know, uh, illuminated hard plastic Santa is terrible. You shouldn't have that. Marks you as the that marks. The, you might as well put a big sign above your door that like uh, abandon all taste, ye who enter here. I'm just saying, of course. All right, these are probably uh, these are probably holiday uh, holiday tack calls. Oh, but you know what I do kind of like, and I didn't initially. I kind of like. Those, they look like they're made out of wicker. They're like reindeer that look as though they're threaded together out of wicker or reeds or some sort of, some sort of like, like a bundle of white sticks that have been woven into the shape of a reindeer. Oh, yeah. I, and they're lit up. I don't mind those. I don't care for the ones that move back and forth. Some of them are kind of animatronic and the head sort of, you know, moves. I don't really, uh, I don't really care for that too much. Let's see here. Oh, we got a couple of these. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? Hey, Rick, Aaron in the coop. Hey, no. A uh, couple things. One, if there was like an inflatable Buddy Christ, I would totally be on top of that. I'd buy that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as tacky ornaments go, anything frosted, like those who like frost their windows or like the frosted wreath. Look, it's not snowing, okay? It's not even cold, you a-holes. You're not fooling <laughs> anyone. Best show ever. Thank you. Hey, I like disproportionate anger. That's really the engine that keeps this show moving. It is the, uh, it, lots of anger about a tiny little thing. Let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Okay, I got to say this about uh, Christmas decorations. Mm -hmm. Love them. I'm all for them. Um, however, uh, recently in my neighborhood, somebody just had to put up two inflatable Santas on motorcycles. And so now, are the motorcycles also inflatable? In other words, is it one big piece that you blow up? Correct, except they have two big pieces in, in different positions, I guess. So it's sort of like a Santa version of those fat twins that used to be in the Guinness Book of World Records on the little motorbike. Exactly. Now, you know that he, and you know, let me just say this. I don't know who you're talking about, so I can say these, these things because I don't know who it is. You just know that is just some fat bastard who fancies himself like a real motorcycle rider, probably drives a car almost everywhere, buys a lot of things, though, off the HarleyDavidson.com website so he can look, you know, all hard to the guys at work. You got I mean, that's exactly who buys those things. All right, thank you, sir. Oh, speaking of hey. that, an artist who made gingerbread Nazis is, has made a legless Santa in a wheelchair being pushed downstairs by a crazed tree. 
I would say that gingerbread Nazis are likely to cause less trouble than the other kind. I mean, one can, that's an endorsement I can give, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, the holiday creations have been raising eyebrows for years. How do you depict a gingerbread Nazi? It says, in 2006, gingerbread Nazis drew many complaints, and he was were forced to move them from his hardware store window. But, I mean, what makes it a ginger... Is it, gingerbread. is it shoving a bunch of other gingerbread creatures into a box somewhere? I mean, what is it doing? I, I guess they were dressed up in Nazi uniforms. But With icing? Was yeah. it made out of icing? Mm -hmm. All right. Where is this? Overland, Ohio. Jeez. That's a Santa with no legs in a wheelchair. You ain't got no legs, being, Santa Claus! Being pushed downstairs by a crazed tree. All right. That's weird. <laughs> I think sometimes people take our sort of uh, amusing, uh, amusingly dark take on the holidays, and it, uh, I think they, they raise it to a, an unacceptably uh, uh, exponential level, but that's just me. Well, it's a free country. Make all the gingerbread Nazis you want. I never thought I would say that sentence. Uh, here's Tim Riley. You should put that on a liner. Make all the gingerbread Nazis you want. Right there is a joke. Oh, dude, speaking of liners. Yes. <gasps> liner. Some new ones? Uh, I barely knew her. Hold on. You know what I got? Chris Paddock gave these to me to play. Hold on a second. Let me, uh, what is this? Uh, okay. Um, okay, so these are from Chris Paddock. Mm -hmm. I believe he was. All right. We're actually going to, we're going to pause for this one while I, uh, while I drink some Vizo. Hold on. Wow, this is compelling. Ah, why didn't I have time to get the uh, popcorn bed? Hold on. I can play some. All right, there we go. What are you gonna play, Sarah? Um. All right, I'm done. Thanks so much. All right, so um. So the the uh, the line to think reminded me of this. So yesterday, I'm sitting at my desk, tapping away, doing some crap. The phone rings, and it's Chris Paddock, who it turns out had also just left me a voicemail, and. I answer the phone. I say, hey, you know, this is Rick. And he goes, hey, it's Paddock. Did you get my voicemail? And I said, and I looked down, and then I realized the light was on. And I said, uh, no, I just sat down. What is he? He goes, oh, it's so great. Listen to the voicemail. Okay. Li li okay, listen. Listen to it. And then he hangs up. And I'm like, that's interesting. I better listen to this voicemail. <laughs> phone rings again. Before I can even listen to the voicemail, the phone rings again. Pick it up. It's Paddock. Forget it. I'll just come upstairs. Stay there. <laughs> and so he thunders up the stairs. And so before I even have a chance to listen to it, he's in my office. And he says, okay, dude, listen to it now. Call the voicemail. And so I call the voicemail, and I hear something. And again, on the voicemail, and it was on speakerphone. It's a little crack. I couldn't quite hear it. It was a little, little crackling, kind of broken up or whatever. But it turns out, uh, Chris Paddock, who's the uh, operations uh, manager for a couple of the stations here, he was pitched um, an imaging package. And an imaging package is... An imaging package is when uh, imaging is like, um, hey, so can, Sarah, can you play like a random 10-second liner? Mm -hmm. Just uh, one of the rotating 10s. Doesn't matter. The only newsman you need, Tim Riley, only on AM 970, The Talker. There you go. So that's imaging. Yeah, that, it's fantastic. Uh, so imaging is that. It's when it is, you know, liners, jingles, sweepers, uh, shouts, and a shout is like that. Tim Riley. The, or a shotgun, which is a uh, a very brief, like, hey, I'm not somebody the talker. <laughs> Done. All of that so that identifies the station <clears throat> and your promos and all of that. The imaging is the particular sound and style. And so there are companies that, I mean, this is a whole, you know, cottage, not a cottage, it's a whole industry that maybe if you don't work in radio or broadcasting, you probably wouldn't even think about. But there are companies, their sole business is creating things like that 
for radio stations. Because some radio stations are, you know, rock stations. So it's got to be like, we're kicking ass and playing rock. Yeah. Bah. And, you know, whatever. And it's like a big guy with a voice like that and a guitar riff. And then some of them are country, you know, where they say, you know, is much more mainstream, much more uh, family oriented. Uh, there's some of those for oldie stations. Oldie stations have a very, very distinct kind of imaging. Oldie stations do a lot of quick drums and then the thing that we've just referred to, the, the shout. And the shout is where you get a chorus of usually three three women and a man, and they say, Oldies, 95, 2, you're listening to Rick Emerson. And then I say, you know, coming up four tops as well as uh, Hang On Sloopy. And we'll get some Eric Burden of the Animals in there. That's uh, coming up right now, little Elton John. Oldies, 95, 2. Great oldies. Oldies. That's it. KOTK had the best jingles. Uh, let's see if I have. Do I even? Did I bring those over from the other you building? You brought one over I, for Bruce I, and I, I brought. Uh, I brought some from my old air checks. I think that we I had ma- two at the top of the hour. Two, a fast one and a slow. Damn! One. Did I? Did I lose those? You're kidding. Hold no. on. No. Just, 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 calm down. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Because I think they were uh, just. Calm down, Rick Emerson. You're uh, blowing it. I think they were just filed as KOTK. But I but I don't see them here. But you know the thing is, I swear to God, I've played them since we've been here. You have because Bruce's sounder is the K O T K. But I don't know where it would have went. Oh no! And I know that's terrible grammar. Please forgive me for saying that just now. We understood it. Uh, uh, let's see. Hold on. Look one more time. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'll move forward. But let me just look really quickly to see if they're here. Hold on. K O T K Saunders. K O T K Saunders. I don't see them. I don't know where they would have. I'll look at home. Maybe. Well, it's also possible that Scotty was. Um, Scotty, Scotty kind of did this thing of cleaning up sometimes and, like, moving folders around and moving stuff into a different, you know, like, he would take a whole bunch of little folders and make one big folder, the upshot of which was I could never find anything. So it's possible that, that they've just been moved somewhere. But um, anyway, so Paddock comes up to my office and he goes, hey, do you want to hear this imaging package that I just got pitched? And I said, sure. And so I couldn't really hear it on the voicemail, but they, the, the way they do it is they send you a CD or now an MP3 that is just a demo where they're not saying the name of your station. They're not saying the name of any any radio station, really. It's just a demo so you can get a feel for how it sounds. Um, and so this is some of the demo material that we have been uh, that we have been pitched here at CBS. Let's see. I'll play you this one. This is this is the shortest one here. This is the demo they sent uh, Chris Paddock. Because, as you know, uh, there are several stations here. We have uh, us, there's KUFO, and then there's Jammin'. Uh, jamming, hits, and hip-hop. So this is presumably uh, for jamming. I don't really see this working for, like, Court and Fatboy, but what do I know? M. Edge Productions. Obama. Uniting our country. America. Obama. A moment in our history. How fantastic that is, is that? That is amazing. Do they have McCain versions? No. <laughs> <laughs> McCain, McCain would just be like it, like it, like it was coming off a of Victrola, like you know. Oh, it's Tom McCain. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll talk to Steve Kasimir. I think it's a longer one. Uh, so you can hear that they actually throw in a smattering of styles because some of them you want to go into like an upbeat number. Sometimes though. Gotta you, take it down. You're rolling a slow jam, and you want to, be, but you still want to be able to talk about how Obama's bringing the country together with dignity and pride. 
into like you know like whatever like the new like like the new Kanye West or whatever. So which um, ones did Chris Paddock choose? <laughs> all of them, Tim. None of them, Tim. M Edge Productions. This one's a little different. Is there anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible? Tonight is your answer. That's presumably for a Spanish urban station. Just still hearing that yes we can though. At this defining moment, change has come to America. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people has not perished from the earth. This is your victory. We are and always will be the United States of America. can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Look at the sex of the city music in the background. God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> M.H. Productions. Genius. You know what I never get tired of in radio? Is the guy talking through a coffee can. It's like the cheapest production trick. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Steve Kastenbach. Steve Kastenbach. Kastenbach. You know, Hello, sir. How are you? Every time I think I'm I'm working in an esteemed profession. Oh no. Journalism. Nope. You know, and doing something important in the world, something like that drags me down to reality. Really good. M Edge Productions. Obama. So yeah. So those are just three of the demos, sir. That's like a. I got one, a whole other one I didn't play that I think is basically the same with that, but it's in English and not Spanish. Um, I, I had no. Are, are stations actually playing sweepers or, or jingles? You know that that highlights Obama like that. I don't know that there be. I don't know the stations are playing them. I know that stations stations are being pitched them. Um, you know, so I mean, clearly there is some, and I, and I don't really know. See, and I haven't worked in music radio for so long that imaging companies and production companies are just, I don't recognize those names the way that I used to, but, you know, because talk radio is a whole different sort of animal in terms of the way that it's, that it's produced and imaged on the air. Uh, so I don't know if this is some like upstart company, if there's some fly by night group, I don't know if this is an established production house and this is just like their latest product. But I do know that the PDs across the station are going to check their inbox, and in the inbox is M Edge Productions, right there, waiting to. And a, it can be customized for your station: sweepers, shouts, jams, and jingles to make you resonate with the Obama voting public. Public, you know. And here's the thing: and they, and you know how it goes. They send you the generic demos, and then you, uh, you know, and the, you say, well. I would like to hear one of those, but customized with my station's call letters, I should buy this image package. Here's my thing, though. I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I would, that I could get away with it because um, they sent this to this guy, Chris Paddock, who's the operations manager uh, for uh, two of our other stations. And I, and I, I know that he was sent this. So if I did this, they might link it back to him and be displeased. But I am so tempted. I am so tempted to call this imaging company and say. 
Hey, you know, uh, we have an audience that this will resonate with. Our audience, they are now, they are progressive. They are the young people who voted for Obama, and this message would reach them. So what I need is just to get a clearer picture, for, and I love it, guys. Don't get me wrong. Look, I love, love what I've heard. I think you're on to something. It's fresh. It's vibrant. It is now. But what I really need to hear is maybe just uh Maybe just one using the call letters so I can hear how it's going to work with my market and my demo. That's what I need to understand. Can you can you do that? Can I get just one, really just produced for me, uh, for for our station, and then I'm going to know to what depth that's going to resonate with our P1s. Great guys, thanks. You know, and then just see if they and then just see if they would do it. But the thing is, I don't even know what I would ask. I'm trying to think of like the least likely thing to have. MS Productions. I mean, I'm trying to think of the least likely thing I would use that for and then call and ask for a demo for that thing. Uh, that, it's just hilarious. You should, you should do it in the language that, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, formats around for yet, like, uh, you know, uh, Russian hip-hop or something like that. Like, <laughs> or, but I'm... <laughs> maybe we'll go all out there, you know? But I'm thinking, you know, like, we carry, like, uh, we carry the Dennis Miller program. Dennis, not an Obama supporter. I mean, he is now. He supports me. He's, you know, he's president-elect. But Dennis, obviously, you know, is a conservative in many in many ways. Pushed very hard for McCain. So I'm just, you know, I'm kind of picturing a uh, Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller. You know, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Or maybe just like the weather. You know, weather brought to you by Obama. <laughs> Radio is endlessly fascinating, sir. It really is. It really never boggles the mind. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm never surprised. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes. But yeah, you know, when I was in college and we used to get those sample, uh, those sample packages uh, on the real reel, uh, you know, with the with the um, package with the with the companies that make those, the production houses. Right. We, we used to take all the all the call letters, you know, from the different stations and just edit it together to to make it the call letters for our college station, even if the jingles didn't match up. <laughs> That's fantastic. So if it was like. So it was like WFPY. You'd steal the W from one station, the F from another station, and right. stitch it together to create what sounded like imaged call letters. Right, but it but it was it was so stupid because we the, the jingles you know we purposely would choose jingles that you know weren't the same jingles, so it just sounded totally messed up. Tim is nodding his head sagely as though he might have had some experience with that. Tim. Yes, I did that in my one year of college in Boston. Good for you. Yeah, Make right it a campus radio station. Yeah, that's what you do when you're in college radio because you just don't know what to do. I mean, the, and you think you're being very creative, and people are going to be so impressed. Well, here's the thing, and I I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. This is here's the sort of um like wanky discussion that only music nerds and radio nerds have, and I don't think they have this discussion in other other kinds of broadcast and other sections of the entertainment industry. I was talking to some uh, some some other guys uh, yesterday afternoon. I forget how the conversation started. We were talking about production techniques and about how music has really influenced production techniques in all kinds of recorded media. And we were specifically talking about some of the some of the um, the production techniques in the world of rap in uh, like the mid to late '80s, and especially a group like Public Enemy. Who Public Enemy had this production team called the Bomb Squad, and the Bomb Squad was this guy Hank Shockley and a few you know other uh, ca rotating cast of characters who did all the production for Public Enemy 
and the production on Public Enemy Records at the time was really groundbreaking. Oh yeah. Because it was it was samples of little things that you would never expect. Like they would sample like the sound of an air raid siren and the sound of a tea kettle whistling and the, and like three seconds of drums reversed and then half a second of a Slayer record, and then a guitar riff from somewhere else, and then a guy just going, ah, and then they would mix it all together and create a music, you know, musical, you know, composition out of it. And then that was incredibly groundbreaking at the time, but now everybody kind of does that. That sort of cut-and-paste audio production style is everywhere. So here's the thing. When you, and then, and then I'll end the wanky radio discussion, when you and Tim were talking about early on in radio, not being able to afford to have your station imaged, not being able to afford, to afford top-flight imagery, but deciding just to make your own by taping other stations and then using their letters to create your own set of image call letters. That probably sound sounded really choppy and mangled, but my, my theory is, my suspicion would be, if you listen back to that now, it would probably not sound too different from some of the actual production styles they use for real imaging right now. You're, you're probably right. Yeah, it's it's possible. Uh, I could I could see that happening. I'd have to go back and in, in, in our best of uh, tapes that I have like gathering dust somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. All well, those jingles remind me of uh, the Family Guy episode with uh, Weenie in the butt. Uh, was it Dingo and the Baby? The oh, radio? Dingo and the Baby. Not Weenie yeah. in the it's Butt. It's Weenie and the Butt and then Dingo and the Baby. Ah, there you go. See, Sarah's the family guy. I'm kind of a casual family guy fan. Uh, Sarah is really the family guy authority here on the show. So much okay. so that she's like, you don't know Dingo and the Baby? And I'm like, no, I must not have seen that one. She's like, dude! And then she spent it the next... so radio. It's so radio to a T. She spent the next five minutes finding the uh, Dingo and the Baby thing, to, which we now have to play into the break. Uh-huh. Um, it, she's like, you've got to hear this. And hearing that Dingo and the Baby thing... Tim, you've heard the dingo and the baby thing, haven't you? I believe so, yes. Yeah, we've played it on the show. You, I mean, you hear it, and it's just, it's funny and just sad all at once because it is exactly what radio stations sound like now. I mean, because because every radio station in the world, all they all sound like... M. Edge Productions, Obama. You know, Obama. It's like one size imaging fits all everywhere. Uh, I mean, you do imagine at a certain point, Clear Channel just has one not-too-bright guy sitting in a room with a microphone and some Pro Tools <laughs> and just creating all the imaging for everything they do everywhere. So, yeah. Jesus. All right. Well, how's your day going, sir? Pretty good. Yeah. Today's not a bad day. Hey, hey before we do anything, else, we're going to talk about uh, Wall Street just a little bit here. Um, I'm not much of a sports guy, as I always say, but what is this? Tell me about this guy who's not he, – he was shot or he shot somebody. Some guy was shot or shot somebody. We can talk about that, too. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty wild story here in New York. You know, Plaxico Burris, uh, the star receiver for the New York Giants, he caught the winning pass in the Super Bowl for the Big Blue. He's at a nightclub this past weekend. Apparently had a handgun that he was um, carrying around uh, in the waistband of his sweatpants. I don't need a holster. My sweatpants will hold this up just fine. First of all, I have never seen him, but I imagine you got to be big and or fat if the waistband of your sweatpants is so tight it can hold a gun. <laughs> he's actually like one of these really incredibly in shape guys. He's um, he's not one of those you know overweight you know football players with you know triple chins. He's uh he's he's really in shape. So I don't know why. First of all. What nightclub is he going to wearing sweatpants in New York City? That's what I want to know. But, well, um, maybe they're Donna Coran sweatpants. Apparently, yeah. 
Apparently, as the gun, uh, the, the bouncer wanted him to hand over the gun or something along those lines. We can't get the, the, the story straight here. Every day it changes because nobody re- reported the incident to police, and that's why everybody's up in arms about this. The gun started slipping down his pants leg, and when he when he went down to grab it, it accidentally went off. <laughs> he shot himself in the leg. Fantastic. The bullet went through his leg, so it gets better. For 90 minutes, according to the New York Post account of what happened here, and they're really good when it comes to getting the scoop from uh-huh. club employees. Oh, you yeah. Know? So um, apparently Plaxico <laughs> and his buddies spent like 90 minutes making frantic phone calls trying to find where he could get the wound treated discreetly. And and eventually they decided on going to one of the, the, the most well-known emergency rooms in the entire city. Well done. And But he tried to enter the emergency room under an assumed name. I'm Ron Mexico. Yeah, some weird some weird name, and he tried saying he got uh, shot in an Applebee's or something like that. <laughs> Can I tell you this? There's There's very few certainties in this life. One of them is this. No one ever gets shot in an Applebee's. No one ever anywhere gets shot in an Applebee's. It doesn't happen. Um, but, I mean, well, wait, it gets better though. This, okay. the, the, some doctor in the emergency room apparently decided to go along with the cover-up, recognized the guy, and it's a law here in New York that you have to report to police if a shooting victim comes into your emergency room. Right. The doctor didn't do it, and then all of a sudden it was in the press. You know, word leaked out, and now she's suspended. He's suspended. Mayor Bloomberg is going crazy on on the hospital, on Plaxico, and on the New York Giants because nobody spoke up about this, and it's a big uh, it's a big uh, hubbub. This is here. like the best story. I'm so glad I asked you about this. See, but by not by not following uh, athletics, I miss out on so much stuff because I never would have known it. But I wanted to sort of get it out of the way because I know the lot of guys, you know a lot of guys in the audience are sports fans. So now, first of all, doesn't Plaxico sound like some sort of heart medication? It does, yeah. Before taking Plaxico, please ask your doctor. Side effects may include runny stools. You know, I mean, or just whatever. Uh, so, but and it would be like it would have a little diagram of like, like little yellow globules in your bloodstream that could kill you if you don't take Plaxico. Although now it turns out the Plaxico might actually kill you. Um, so, but, and, but wouldn't you figure if you're famous enough, you get like a discreet doctor on speed dial? Isn't that one of the things when you become rich and famous, you get a doctor that nobody else gets access to who will come to you day or night. Well, now the team trainer was allegedly involved in, in some of these calls, apparently, and he was actually, according to some newspaper accounts, in the emergency room with the guy. So this keeps getting, the conspiracy keeps widening here. It's wonderful. But, I mean, I mean, you know what the lesson to this story is? Buy a holster. Yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I just want that doctor that Robert De Niro has in heat. You know what I mean? Where they're yeah. all shot up in the bank robbery, and the next thing you know, he's there, and Jeremy Piven is, uh, you know, is like, you know, saying like, "Look, I'll take cash, you know, or whatever," and tying him up. Jesus. All right. Well, so that's hilarious. Uh, probably less hilarious. Wall Street, blah blah blah. But I guess they, I don't know. What are they? What is a rally? Is that just a catch-all term, or is that like a recession that has a specific meaning? Is a rally just mean that it was up somewhat? I mean, you could have a two-day rally. You know, if you have two days in a row where the stock market with a Dow gains a significant amount, uh, then that's a rally. But, you know, we're, we're, we're still in the middle of this roller coaster ride, and it shows no signs of ending. Today it's up 172 points, despite the fact that uh, we had all these negative economic indicators today uh, regarding, uh, geez, so many different things. Job, the job market, uh, same-store sales projections, are uh, that's coming out tomorrow, the actual same-store sales. for, for uh, They're expecting it 
to show a steep 2.4% decline tomorrow. So, you know, there's all this negative news. Every time there's negative news, for some reason, the Dow goes up. And when there's positive news, the Dow goes down. Okay, so, here's, a, here's an idea for a sidebar piece. Here's what you ought to do, because you heard about this a lot during the, the banking crisis, which so, seems so far away now. Um, all of that, you, Steve Casterman, ought to try to actually find someone who is, wait for it, keeping the money under their mattress. Oh, you know what? I think CNN actually did that. Ah, uh, damn you, CNN. When the banks uh, started failing, they actually found uh, somebody, I saw it on TV, who was keeping their money under the mattress. Ah, yeah. Well, too late am I to this story, then. Yeah. All right, my friend, are you on tomorrow? Yes. All right. We will uh, talk to you then. Until then, may the good news be yours, Steve. Can you play me out with a jingle? <laughs> with a sweeper? Take you out Obama style. Here we go. The, uh... M. Edge Productions. Obama. There you go. Steve Katzenbaum. Back after this. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Good morning, Cohog. You're here with Dingo. <laughs> and the baby. <laughs> and if you're thinking about changing the station. Don't. Today we got homeless Hank from the dumpster out back with us. Hey, I got an idea. How about the first three women willing to come down and have sex with Hank get free boob jobs courtesy of Dr. John Viner? Are you reading my mind, man? Let's go to the phones. Go ahead, caller. You're on with Dingo and the baby. Uh, is this Dingo? Yes, honey. What's your name? Ooh, hot. Oh, yeah, that's hot. That is hot. Tell me something, Cindy. How'd you like to come down here and get naked for us? Uh-huh. Sure. Whoa! I think we got a show. Oh, yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show. Oh, yeah, there's a show. X-Men comics, you know I collect them. The pens in my pocket, I must protect them. My ergonomic keyboard never leaves me bored. Shopping online for deals on writable media. I edit Wikipedia. I memorize Holy Grail really well. I can recite it right now. And have you R-O-T-F-L-O-L. I got a business doing website. While friends need some code, who do they call? I do HTML for them all. Even made a homepage for my dog. Yo, I got myself a fanny pack. They were having a sale down at the Gap. In my nights with a roll of bubble wrap. Pop, pop, hope no one sees me getting freaky. I'm nerdy and the extreme and wider than sour cream. I was in a V Club and Glee Club and even the chess team. Only question I ever thought was hard. What do I like, Kirk, or do I like Picard? Spend every weekend at the Renaissance Fair. Got my name on my underwear. They see they laughing. They roll in their eyes because I'm so wide and nerdy. Just because I'm wide and nerdy. Things just too wide and nerdy. Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, Grandma didn't get run over by a reindeer, but there was a reindeer accident in Mankato. What's MN? Montana? I guess so. What? MN is a abbreviation for what state? Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. I'm just making that up. What's Montana? MA? No, that's, Mass- Maine? that's Massachusetts. Maine is ME. Me. MO is Missouri. What that's the hell is Montana? MN? You just said that's Montana. No, no, no. That's Minnesota. No, we don't know what Montana is. Oh. What's Montana? Hello? No, that's Missouri. I could find out if you like. What about MN? Let's just go with MN. Hey, wait, Richie, what are you Richie, what are you doing on the uh is that the is that the uh the person in question? Yes, it is. Don't talk that way. All right. Um so many things to do. 
All right, let's take a brief moment here. Hold on. I can finish this quickly. We can get back to that later. Yeah, let me, okay. let me finish the story. I'm, I'm just trying to find my center. Okay, Tim, go ahead. Well, the Anikowski family was leaving a holiday fundraiser when suddenly Mother Joanna heard somebody scream, Dear! Seconds later, six-year-old da- daughter Ashlyn and husband Tom had been toppled in a collision with a deer. The next thing I know, um, I saw my husband, like, kind of really quickly move to one side, and I look down, and there's my husband um, and my daughter, and in between them is this deer. The deer ran away. I'm going through all the lists of jokes <laughs> in my head. You know, Grandma got rid of a eight tiny reindeer. Yeah. Come on, pick one. Um, a doe, a deer. None of them work. It's like they're all kind of, they all kind of fit, but you'd be forcing it. That's a square peg round hole kind of a thing. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, in case you're uh, wondering what that clackety clack sound is, uh, I have not one but two Ricola cough drops in my mouth as we speak. Because I swear to God, the instructions say to have two. So I don't know why they don't just make one and make it bigger, but who am I to question the Swedish? Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503 uh, More news from Tim Riley in just moments. Later on, Peter Carlin for the Oregonian, and we'll have another installment of the greatest songs ever made. All right, Sarah, give us a little background on the conversation we're about to have. All right. Oh. My sister wrote me this morning, and she's like, okay, so uh, my coworker just got back, and she said that she was just on cash cab and won 500 bucks, and I was telling Heather how, you know, we had just had uh, Ben, what's his last name? Ben Bailey. Yeah, Ben Bailey on, um, like, a few weeks back, and how we were all just, like, that was our dream to be picked up on the right. streets of New York to play on cash cab. So, I, yes, I had her pester, her, her um, co-worker and her co-worker um, agreed to come on the show with us. So we've been, in fact, uh, just as we've a side note. We've found somebody who's been on Cash Cab. And right now, actually, if you listen, um, you'll, one of the promos that is running for our show and the rest of the station is actually the one where I go, like, what's welcome now? You know, the bed bit of a Cash Cab. And it's just 45 minutes of us us gushing all over him about what a great show it is. Well, that's so. good news, too, because if he's still out doing it, that means the contract negotiations probably went through. That's right, because they, that. they, were, they were having a little bit of a dispute. And he's like, well, we got a bunch of them filmed, but they won't air them because we're having a contract dispute. And then but the great thing about it was is he was all bitter about it, too. He's like, and I won an Emmy. Screw them. <laughs> all right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Valerie. Hello, Valerie. How are you? Hi, how are you? I am fantastic. All right, well, thank you, first of all, for uh, taking some time out of your busy day uh, to, uh, to spend a few minutes with us. So let's back up. Um, what is the deal? You just, you went out to go to lunch? You went to, I mean, what time of day did this happen? Why, you know, you have to be specific, but why were you taking the cab? Um, well, I was actually going to, to a meeting, and, okay. um, and and it happened to be that, <laughs> it's kind of a long story, but, but my dad was with me. And so we kind of hailed a cab Pretty much on, I think it was on 54th Street, mm-hmm. and when we got in the cab, lights went on. Oh, oh, so cool. Now, dumb question. This was, this was of course, the big, like, the van kind of cab, right? It's not the, not the smaller one. Do you I, – I know many people, uh, among them uh, Sarah here, who – when in New York City, only hails those kind of like big minivan-looking cabs, mm-hmm. if she can, just because she wants one of them to be the cash cab. In your wildest imaginings, did it ever occur to you that you would actually hail the cash cab? No, never, never. It was you, really funny. Are you a fan of the show? Uh, you know what? I, I, I know of it, and I've seen it kind of briefly, but I've, I've just... It's such a thing that, like, I never thought I would ever be on it. Sure, yeah. So when I saw the lights, I was like, uh. <laughs> wow. Really and surprised. When the lights go off, I mean, on television, it looks great. It looks like the entire the walls and the ceiling are blinking, and I don't know if there's a sound or whatever. Is it, is it kind of cool, you know, in person? I mean, does the entire place light up inside like some sort of a discotheque? What does it look like? It was cool. I mean, my dad really liked it a lot. <laughs> he was really into it. Wonderful. Um, it's different. It's different than when you, when you see it on TV. It's definitely different. 
you when you kind of pay attention because you get in the cab, you're kind of hustling, you know, putting your bag down, sure. whatever. And so then when I then afterwards, I could see the cameras and everything. But when you first initially get in, you don't see anything. And so uh, Ben Bailey turns around. And he says, "Hey, you're in Cash Cab. It's a live television or you know a television game show that takes place in the back of a cab, whatever." And exactly. then when you see it on TV, it's edited down to you know just basically the good stuff. But is there is there like a long setup that maybe we don't see on TV, like where you have to sign something or they ask you if you want to do it or not? Yeah, of course. I mean. There's definitely a point where you have to you have to sign like a waiver, and then um, and then the, you kind of get back in the cab, and they, they explain it to you because obviously somebody like my dad, you know, who wouldn't really necessarily know, oh. he uh, he had no idea about the game, so he was like, oh, <laughs> it was really cute actually. The whole thing was really fun. Um, but yeah, then like they set they have to set some stuff up, like when for example we did a we did a shout out, uh, street shout out. Right, so, which is where you stop uh, and you ask somebody on the street like, hey, what's the capital of Luxembourg? Exactly. Yeah. And so, so how does that really work? Um, well, they kind of they have to set everything up so they have to have a camera guy go and and sh- and shoot it from the outside. Right. And then you stop and you kind of wait for somebody that you want to to stop to uh, to take to to ask the question. So we asked this great great like guy that was just kind of walking down the street who had a scarf on and and funny glasses and he was perfect. So perfect you can guy. you can sort of pull over and let people go by until you spot somebody that you think is gonna gonna be able to help you. Somebody that looks yeah. smart. Right. Well, I mean, we don't have all day, but, yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have a couple minutes to kind of do that. All right, and so uh, that's interesting, actually, that when you get in the cash cab, they kind of explain it, and then you stop and sign all the releases and everything, and then you get back in, and then the, the trip continues. So do they ask you in advance where you're going? And I always I ask that because a lot of times it seems like the duration of the contest, like the destination is just far enough to wait to make it work. It's like how many blocks, like 30 blocks? Yeah, so if you, uh, yeah, if it's like, I wonder if you say, if it's like, look, it's 40 miles away, if they're just going to say, I'm sorry, they boot you back out. Maybe. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's really how it works. It's, there's some setup that goes on, you know, so you kind of, you're, you're going to a, a certain destination. All right. Did, um, so then with the, with the actual questioning, so you, you, everything's set up, you're in there, he starts rolling, he's driving, and I guess he memorizes some, and as I, I think he told us he's being fed some in an earpiece. So, uh, do they just immediately start in with the questions and it's boom, 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 boom? Uh, yeah. Once you get back, once you sign your waiver, once you're doing the whole thing, then you start moving and you start getting asked the questions. And I got really nervous, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was good. It was it, it's the the actual cab ride is not very long. You know, mm. it's definitely not. Um, it's not. It, it's like the whole process takes a lot longer than the actual ride. Does he occasionally um, on television? It sometimes it looks as though he deliberately holds out the yes or no just for suspense. You know, like when you say, uh, "Well, the answer is Reykjavik," and he'll say, "Reykjavik is right. You've just won two hundred dollars," and he just really makes you wait. I mean, it was it that way? Did he play up the drama a bit? Definitely. All right. Definitely, and he was joking around with us, you know. Kind of, he, it was good. It was it was a lot of fun. Was he good looking in person? Uh, yeah. Did, now, yeah definitely. And I don't know to what. So you'll have to tell me. I don't know to what extent if we can discuss the outcome. But I, I will say this: uh, Can we ask? Did you do the bonus question? The question. The the final question. Yeah, where he they give you the option to do the video bonus. We didn't do the, the you, bonus. Question. You took the money and ran. Well, we, I don't know if I won yet. You know, you don't know, so <laughs> you gotta watch. How, oh, are, oh, oh! Did you have oh. to sign a release? I'm sorry. Oh, did you? Are, are you not supposed to talk about anything? Uh, well, no. I mean, I'm you know I'm allowed to talk about going on Cash Cab, but you know we we're, 
I don't know if I wanted to necessarily say what we. Uh, oh, I see. So you want to let it be a little bit of a mystery. Um, okay. So, but at the end, uh, you know, you uh, yeah. So for whatever reason, you did not do you did not do the video bonus question. We'll put it that way. Yeah. All right, excellent. Well, Valerie, thank you so much. Uh, and I got to say, we're big nerds for that show. And we talked to him a couple weeks ago, Ben Bailey, and uh, never, just like you never thought you'd get in the cash cap, I really never thought that I'd know anybody who did. <laughs> so thank you for making that small dream come true. And Valerie, Aww. will you hug my sister for me, please? Of course I will. All okay, right, thanks. thank you, Valerie. No problem. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Actually, if you want to uh, check with Valerie and make sure that uh, everything's cool, that's there. so cool. Like my friend has my friend's. Uh, mom's coworker won the lottery really? a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, That's it was just weird. like like a couple million dollars. But I mean, I never thought that I'd know somebody who knew somebody who won the lottery. My fourth grade teacher won a million dollars in the lottery. Awesome. Did she come back to teach? What do you think? No. Yes. No. <laughs> no, just F this. I'm out. I hate being wrong. My fourth grade teacher, uh, right when Washington State had started the lottery, uh, she was like, I think, the third or fourth person to win the Washington State Lottery. It was a big deal uh, when they instituted the lottery. They resisted it for a long time. No gambling of any kind in Washington. When they first started the lottery, it was such a big deal that they did the very first, you know, the deal was, I think, with the lottery, the very first time, there was like 10 people who won like 30 grand. And then he got on television, and they had a bunch of, it was like one of those bingo ball machines, basically. It was a bunch of sacks, you know, like little um, silk sacks with you know, sort of like big bingo ball type things inside. And you reached in, you pulled out a sack, and then at the end you pulled it out and, you know, a bunch of them said no, and one of them said a million. Um, so anyway, but we in Washington it was a huge deal watching this woman who was a nurse be given a million dollars on television. By the way, within like two years, poor, strung out. So, um, but my fourth grade teacher won a million bucks, and there was a whole lot of like, Mrs. So-and-so will not be returning. She's going to be moving on to some other things. And I think those things were sitting around and drinking, so good for her. All right. Richie, don't hit on Sarah's uh, sister's friend. Was he still on the phone with her? No, but... Richie just typed on the screen, sexy voice. I think I'll hit on her. Richie. Please please don't do those things, Richie. All right, you're listening to KCMD Portland. This is Tim Riley. Tell you, why not go on a cruise ship and kill some pirates? That would be a great way to get people aboard, wouldn't it? Seriously, what we'll American wouldn't want to kill pirates? Okay, you know what? And that could be a cheaper... That's a good idea, Tim Riley. You bet. Maybe we should put something together. Susan Reynolds? Because That'd be like one of, the, one of those Bruce Williams tours. Hey, kids, uh, we're going to go on a Princess Cruise Line that is coming up this June. Now, I'm going to be there, and we're going to have a lot of fun. There's going to be shuffleboard, bands... We're going to kill some pirates, and then we're going to set fire to their skiffs after looting whatever it is they might have. Now, tickets are uh, limited, so you, uh, yeah, Tiger, you want to get online, get there on that there internet, and uh, buy yourself some tickets. going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, David in Spokane. And we can localize it like Pirates of the Willamette. Seriously. That's okay. You need to find something that rhymes with Caribbean and make it that Nothing pirate. rhymes with Caribbean. Something has to. Mm-mm. If something rhymes with Caribbean, you call and tell us. I can say that because I know that nothing does. It's like nothing rhymes with, uh, you know, Oregon or orange. Uh, so, uh, but you know what? That could be like a that could be a cheaper alternative to that Richard Branson hundred thousand dollar trip into space thing because uh-huh. that's not without some risk. Right. Flying into outer space, a little bit of you might not come back. This a much easy a much easier and cheaper way to do it. Go kill some goddamn pirates. Who wouldn't want to do it? Seriously, I know dudes. You know who'd sign up for this? I mean. I'm not trying to disparage any of the guys in the audience right now are like, righteous, I would totally do it. You, but you know who else would do this sign-up to go kill some pirates and possibly be killed yourself? Those same idiots that do the running of the bulls. 
Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. I mean, you know, why be gored by an animal when you could be, you know, you could actually fight a real human? So I'm telling you right now, that's money in the bank. They offer you a chance to go shoot some pirates in the face. So this is aboard the uh, Nautica. It's a pleasure vessel. This passenger said they knew something was going wrong when the captain had to leave. We just went on to the rear, to the stern, and disappeared out of sight. We went up for breakfast. We just sat down, and the captain said there were suspicious folks following us. So the captain took off first and then told everybody else to go. From the pleasure vessel? Yeah. So, uh, so, so these are uh, pirates. They're off the coast of uh, Somalia. It's a pleasure vessel? Well, people having uh, pleasurable things here. But, I mean, doesn't pleasure vessel sound... <laughs> yeah, really it does. does. Something that Richie would go on. Seriously. I mean... <laughs> or own. A pleasure vessel sounds like... Uh, that'd be That's like some crap that, like, Nancy Friday would say in one of her books. You know what I mean? It would Like, that would be the follow to my secret garden. My pleasure vessel. So, two small boatfuls of pirates chased the Nautica, fired shots at the ship. They were unable to get on board. The captain managed to move the ship away like a chicken. He should have stayed and fought it out. He tried to what, like a chicken? He just tried to speed away. Oh, I see. And get away. The Nautica was on a 32-day cruise from Rome to Singapore, and had more than 1,000 people on board who could have all killed these pirates. It's a little freaky. Yeah, right, right. But it was a surprise that they attacked Yeah. And they did fire shots. Okay. Well, I. here's the thing. i got to think that if it were not for the stupid failing economy right now, this would be like story number one on Anderson Cooper every night. Mm -hmm. Because remember how a couple of years ago it was all sharks? It was like the summer of the shark. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it was no more shark attacks than normal, but it was like, you know, some idiot goes out into the ocean, forgets that there's animals out there that want to kill you, and then, you know, gets a bite, and summer of the shark. Should they all be killed? Join us tonight, or whatever. Remember when little girls are being kidnapped every 30 seconds? Every 30 seconds, it, Tim. It just stopped. Oh, God, did you see that they're, like, sending more cops down for that Natalie Holloway, that missing uh, blonde girl in Aruba? I thought they found her body or something. No, see, I don't think so, though. I think it's, like, a new lead. But a new lead? Uh, look, I don't yeah, mean to be... Yeah, she's for, like, four years Yeah, I mean, let's... Can we just say at this point, you're not likely to be finding her. I mean, not all at the same time, anyway. It's just, we all know that Didn't to be true. Didn't she leave to go on a beach and, like, I don't know. hump it out or something? I don't know, because I don't care. Um, but um, but i got to think right now, this would be totally like, this would be, a, you know, a, there would be a piracy update every single night of the news if it were not for the stock market. So, okay. Well, let's do some uh, Christmas decorating with Laura Bush at the White House. Uh, the only thing that's ever been suggested in letters was to have a red, white, and blue holiday. So uh, that's what we're having this year for the election year and also just for a very patriotic uh, last Christmas for us here. So oh, uh, by the way, uh, the idea that somehow the only thing that people suggested that Laura and George Bush do... <laughs> Is to put up a red, white, and blue ornament. That's what they call a patent falsehood. I, so. I think we could go to the hallway right here, and I think like Lacey, uh, I think Lacey Turner has a long list of things that she thinks George W. Bush could probably do. So uh, many of them unnatural acts uh, with himself. Uh, please tell us the origin of the uh, Christmas tree. The Christmas tree came from North Carolina. Uh, the Christmas tree growers there, River Ridge Farm. Uh, gave it to the White House. They were picked by the National Christmas Tree Association as the master Christmas tree growers this year. So it's a beautiful Fraser fir. Please tell us more about your Christmas decorations. So this year, because of the patriotic theme, we thought the presidential homes would also be great for people to see again in the cross hall downstairs. Not to be outdone, Nancy Pelosi got a glowing 73-foot tree to mark the holidays of the U.S. Capitol. One, two, three.
That's, that's, that's a, a great soundbite. Thanks so much. That was no, Tim. I'm really feeling the holiday spirit. She sure showed them. That filled me with Yuletide excitement. Mm-hmm. The sound of someone looking at a thing I can't see. I realize that we spend a lot of time doing that. Hey, speaking of which, in a second, I'm going to show you a thing the listeners can't see. Uh-huh. Just because that's what we do. So who am I to cast stones at Nancy Pelosi, I guess? Uh, Nancy Pelosi, just like uh, Portland, has environmentally friendly LED lights on her 73-foot Christmas tree. It's Whatever. so elegant in its height and its gracefulness. It's just perfect. Gracefulness is... One, two... It's a... Gracefulness is not a word. What is the one, two, and the cheering? Let's play that again and then imagine what it could be, the soundbite, too. What could be the visual? This is like one of those, like, they'll do the, like, caption this photo. Instead of caption this photo, we could do, like, what is the image that goes with this sound? Tim? One, two. I mean, what image could possibly go with that? Like, what, what was the text that came with that? What was she doing? Like Nancy letting... Pelosi uh, lighting up her 73-foot Christmas tree. To me, it sounds like a fireworks display. Yeah. It sounds like, play it one more time and imagine people watching uh, the fireworks finale. All right. There's Nancy Pelosi. One, two. It's like two different cuts spliced together. It does. It totally sounds like it, two different cuts. It shows it accurately as one, two, crowd fades. So how about this? What if, uh, okay, you know what it also kind of sounds like? It also kind of sounds like um, uh, like maybe uh, on Dancing with the Stars or Skating with whoever, somebody slips and there's a fall, and it looks like they're going to snap their femur, but then they get it back together and they lift Hector Elizondo above their heads. Play, th- play that, if you will, one more time. So, okay, here we go. Danny Bonaducci is skating. He slips. You think he's going to break his leg, but no, no, no. Danny Bonaducci recovers and holds Hector Elizondo above his head. One, two. Right here. See, then he pulls it out of the end. There you go, Danny Bonaducci. Good for you on KCMD Portland and so forth. Uh, okay, so before, here's the thing. So, Tim, I know you got to go from our news. Yes. We're talking to uh, Peter Carlin in a moment, your calls. Okay, but before you do that, you got to come over here and look at this. And here's the reason I can say this, because you can see this at rickemerson.com. Uh, if you go to uh, rickemerson.com, and I think it's also at the MySpace page, myspace.com slash rickemerson. You go to rickemerson.com, and you look at uh, the second blog entry down. i got to update this. It still says my Outlook Portland shows about the cemetery. And it still um, says my information's coming soon. Sorry about that. Uh, and, I, and I returned left for dead, so i got to update this. Uh, but it's the second blog entry. It is called, Jesus God, Kill It With Fire. So you got to come over here and look at this. Am I? Yes. Okay. Why not? Because I'm scared. I, I oh, and no, it's... Fingertips. And you ought to be. It's not that, though. It's worse. It's not graphic. I'll put it that way. It's not graphic. So you go to uh, rickemerson.com, look for the blog entry from listener Tony and many, many other people. Uh, it is called Jesus God, Kill It With Fire. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you got to know. This isn't fake, and here's how you know it's not, and it's not a spider. Here, here's how you know it's not fake. It's from National Geographic, and they wouldn't lie to us. So this, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be like Cloverfield 3-ing us on this. Mm-hmm. It is from National Geographic. This is more proof that, a, you know, that aliens are here, and they are getting ready to kill us. And not just aliens, but, in fact, aliens from the mind of James Cameron. Have we all seen Alien or Aliens? Yeah. All right. Uh, so go to uh, rickemerson.com, go to Jesus God, Kill It With Fire, click on the video. And here we go. This is caught underwater, a squid. And wait for it. Look at that. Oh. Oh. Look at that. That's the mother, that's the queen alien. What that, is that? that it's, it's a thing that's going to kill you. 
No, it's a squid. No, it doesn't look like when it has bent legs. Yes, yes, it does. It has elbows, Sarah. Let's watch it again. Hold on. And, oh, there we go. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that... Yeah, and that that head right there, the head and those ear thing behind it—that's the queen alien. Oh my god! That's the uh, yeah. One more time. All right, here we go. Backing up, and oh, it's so tall. Oh, oh, hi! I'm gonna kill you. Oh. Hello. Can I suck your blood? Yeah. Isn't that thing gonna kill us all? That looks like the thing that was living in the bathroom sink. That ain't right. Uh, And that's from NationalGeographic.com, by the way. So there you go. So it's real. Yeah. Oh no, it's real. I mean, that's a that that is real. Real and real and deadly, Tim. So it's still down there. All I need now is one of those power loader suits. I don't understand how people like scuba diving and stuff. I don't want to encounter anything like F that. that. No, Tony Howard was talking about how you know him and his wife were swimming with um, all kinds of like squid and uh -huh. you know, they, I'm like, there's no way. And they were like going down into the den to see this like, where the squid live. No. The squid prefer to swim alone. Thank mm -hmm. you. All right, that's a whole get away from her, you bitch moment. Uh, all right. Oh, by the way, Richie, uh, Richie is naming his band. You know the lips, the, you know, the band that is backing him up for his uh, for his drag performance. They're going to be called the Pleasure Vessel. So <gasps> That's a lot better than Crystallica or whatever yeah. he's going to do it. Yeah. So it's going to be Richie Crystal and Pleasure Pleasure Vessel. Uh, Tim Riley returns later on with more news. Uh, hey, uh, Richie, can you summon uh, Peter Carlin to the phone? I'll get these calls and that'll take us right to that, which doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, I um, just wanted to say uh, about Christmas decorations. Yes, sir. There's one unifying thing. It needs to take effort. If something took effort, then it'll work. But yeah. somebody on their fifth maxed out credit card going down to Fred Meyer, to, to, you just tell. They just put it in their yard and plugged it in. So I think it's the earnestness and the effort that, that this is. Right, and like, that's the thing. thing about the inflatable uh, Christmas ornament, you know, the inflatable thing on the lawn. It's lazy. It, it's, not, it's cheating. It's lazy and it's cheating. And I'll tell you what I compare it to. I compare it to... The kid who creates, like, a huge pirate ship out of Legos, and the kid who buys that cheating Lego box where it's like the ship is already put or together. Or you buy the prepackaged Halloween costume. Yeah. As opposed to, like, making it yourself. That's what I'm saying. It's like some of us want to work for it, some of us don't, sir. That's exactly it. And I have a rhyme for Caribbean. All right. All right. Uh, on the, you know, there's those fountains around that you see in people's backyards with a little boy on the top. Yeah. It's a cherub pian. All right. Thank you. Bye. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how you doing? What's up? I saw your video on your blog, and uh, I think that the only uh, thing to do is uh, nuke the whole area from space. It's the only way to be sure. Nuke it from orbit, sir. It is the only way to be sure. It's that thing. Does that, doesn't it look, like, if you didn't know better, you'd think that was for, like, Alien 5 or whatever underwater. Yeah, it freaks me out. Man. It's completely freaky. All right, excellent. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, sir. One more, and we'll talk to Peter Carlin. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What up? Hey, Rick, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember Cracked Magazine from the 70s? Uh, Yeah, Cracked has actually been around for a long time. Uh, But, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I remember it. I didn't read it because, you know, it's like a Blur versus Oasis, uh, you know, Stones versus Beatles thing. I, uh, You know, you, one could not be a fan of Mad Magazine and also Cracked. And everybody picked sides, and, uh, you know, I picked Mad. So, But, yes, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I just kind of cracked with kind of a mad ripoff. Very much I so. Had, yeah. I had the ultimate geek experience. I couldn't believe it. It just proves I'm a geek. I was um, I started trying to read cracked when I was a kid when I could hardly read. So right. I walked into this periodical store and they had all of the cracks, a ton of them on a shelf there. And nobody wants to buy them and right. they're dated. Right. And I caved and bought them all. And now I'm like a collector. And well, they're, they're cheesy. <laughs> no, they're cheesy. And uh, you know, there's. 
Cracked, I could talk a lot about Cracked Magazine, and I, and I won't at the moment because we got the stuff to get through, but I, I will say this. No shame in that. Uh, cracked, despite the fact that it is viewed, and I think correctly, as a uh, an inferior version of Mad, a, a, you know, a very weak sister to Mad Magazine, it is certainly a part of American popular culture um, because it is always, it is, you know, it, it is the uh, it is the the constant lesser, you know, the, the, the also ran. It is the constant, you know, B sibling. It is the Salieri to the Mozart of Mad. Um, and and frankly, man, it ran for a long, long time. I mean, it, it ran from, I think, the late 50s all the way until recently. And now it is, I think, pretty much an online only thing. And to be fair, I got to give credit where credit's due. Online, Cracked.com online is one of the most consistently funny things on the Internet. And that's saying something. Cracked.com is really, really funny. They've got the cream of the comedic crop there in some ways. Um, but Cracked Magazine is sort of, you know, it's a, it's a little, you know, it, they are an important part of the culture in the sense that they, they managed to survive for decades against the behemoth that was Mad Magazine. So, you know, you got to give it up for that, sir. So, And plus, you're not going to have a lot of competition collecting cracks. You can probably corner the market there pretty easily. That's what I figured, kind of like the eight-track cassettes of magazines. Exactly. Before we go, can you name for me the mascot of Cracked Magazine? Yes, it's Sylvester, and I guess he was the janitor yes. at their headquarters. Indeed, sir. Well yeah. done. I am impressed. Thank you, sir. You call us anytime. Okay. All right, there you go. That's uh, that guy. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome out of the Rick Emerson Show. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I gotta press the right button. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. I was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the little, the thing that hangs inside. From the Oregonian. Man, you gotta not ever play that again. Why, Peter Carlin? It just makes me, it just knocks me off my feet every single time. Are you? But that's what you're doing, you're trying to get me off balance. I'm playing the mental game. You are. A little bit of rope-a-dope is what I'm doing here. Sandbagging. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I find, you know, here's the, I like to think that it's part of your unique style of comedy. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's uh, it's like your own little seat at the Algonquin Roundtable. You know what I mean? You know, I met this woman at a party the other night, and uh, she was a, she's a fan of yours, and she, so she hears me talk to you on the radio, and she, she described my role or my position in, on the show as sort of the... Um, Oh, oh, what's the word she used? Um, oh, dang it! Now I'm now I'm an idiot. Oh, I started an anecdote and I'm missing the key part of it. Curmudgeon. That yeah. was the word she used. I can no, no, that's a fair point. Which is good, you know, because here's the thing: when you're not here, yeah. I am in that role. Like I am the curmudgeon of uh, Rick Emerson is the curmudgeon of the Rick Emerson show. Really? But the great thing is, like it's like Rodney Dangerfield said: you know, you, if you're fat and you want to look thin, you stand next to fatter people. So if I want to look relatively life-loving, I bring you on. You are actually so curmudgeonly, it makes me look as though I'm full of zest. Yeah, I know, but then that makes me feel like just some sort of strange, old, like, cranky old person who yes. comes on and just is like, people can hear my dentures rattling and my gums, you know, when I'm here, like, going on and on and on about you kids and your long hair. Dude, you want to know? Here's the thing. Uh, Sarah Dillon is 28. Yeah. And in the second hour of today's program, Tim was talking about, uh, and we have this story about every three months from somewhere. Tim was talking about how parents in Vancouver um, were complaining about the, quote, sexy dancing that their kids are doing at school, right? It's like, yeah. the, which is like you have all the time, right? Parents say that a new kind of dance goes too far. Yeah. You know, our own blah, blah, blah is know, on the you scene. You can imitate Tim Riley so well. I thought he had just jumped up and was like, Segged back into the story for you. I was channeling him. That was that was scary. Uh, so it, it, you know we have that story all the time. My parents were upset that their kids are like you know well the lombada was one thing but this is just too much. So Sarah actually Sarah who is not even thirty Sarah did say 
I hope I get this quote right. I think Sarah said, quote, I mean, really, though, have you seen the way that kids dance these days? It's gross. End quote. I know. I'm not I still, disagreeing. I still stand by it, and I thought that in high school, and I'm 28, and I still think that now. I'm How just saying. How do they dance? What is it that they're doing? Like, all the, like the way when the girls, like, turn around, like, turn backward and, like, bend over and rub themselves on the boys. Have you ever What's seen that? What's not to love about that? that? That's what? what I'm saying. I can't really weigh in on why that's bad, but. Okay. You guys just talk about something. Would you like to know? Well, no, it really was a great description. Here's the great way, and here's the way. Because I've never seen this. I don't leave the house. So I, but Sarah has seen this, I guess. And where, now, where, now, here's a question. Where have you seen this? Because you say you, they actually have adult friends of yours, Sarah, who do this. No, no, I don't have, no, no, no. I don't have any friends. Well, not friends, but I mean, in other words, you. Like peers. Like on, I've seen people dance like In, in other words, like you're not hanging out at a high school. Like where have you seen grownups do this? Like at, you know, like a downtown club. I don't name any names. Right. Oh, Why not? Yeah, because I have my pen. I was going to go there. <laughs> I know you were, Peter Crowley. But you've seen that happen where it's like, well, I can totally see that. Actually, those club, you know, it's like the club folks I was talking about earlier. No, yeah, it's just like a, a mating ritual put on, you know, it's not something that I want to see. So here's how Sarah described it. She was describing it as uh, the man and the woman. I sound like I'm that, uh, I sound like I'm in sex ed. Um, uh, <laughs> when a man and a woman hug each other in a special way. But she said that the, the man and the woman are dancing. The girl turns her back to the guy and bends over at the waist. Okay. And then and puts herself no, no, no. against the man. But it's so much it gets so much better. The girl turns around, bends over at the waist, and then here's how Sarah illustrated the next two points. She said, and then the girl presses up against him and and then she did the Mr. Miyagi thing with the hands where she goes <laughs> like that. And I said, Wow, really? And she goes, and this is the the final punchline here. Sarah said, Yeah, and you know, the result of that is and then she just used her index finger as though she was pointing at an airplane in the sky. So there you go. Anyway, so apparently the, the young people love that kind of thing. Uh, and also that we really sound curmudgeonly well, all the time. So don't but feel I'm, not, I'm like totally, I'm like, yeah, go for it. I mean, well, you know, I mean, young... oh, Peter, you're so hip. I am. I'm like so like, I'm, I'm like the cool old guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a golden chain around my neck. At least you put old in there somewhere. I... <laughs> Really, that's a. This is the sort of conversation you don't want played back someday if you're ever accused of anything untoward. No, yeah. no, no, I'm the cool old guy. Yeah, no, seriously. You know, I got uh, I got some video games at my house. Would you like to come see them? Jeez. Oh, no, I. Uh, why ride that bicycle? It's so cold outside. Get in my van, my soundproof van. All right. Well, <clears throat> I know it's you like. You know that story. Well, I don't know. Anyway, yes, let's move on. So it's like so it's like two weeks late, but I, this is the first time we've had you. You've been what? You were wrapping up your uh, your book writing. Yep. All right. So you done with that book? Yep. Well, basically, yeah. I mean, except for like polishing and you know whatever. But the book is the the McCartney book is finished. Yeah. Uh, and so when uh, when can we expect to see that? <laughs> like in a year. <laughs> see now, writing. I really do admire, in a strange way, guys who write. For a living, and especially guys who try to make it, you know, the guys who try to like write books as like their their primary means of whatever, because it takes however long. I mean, look, unless you're just saying some James Waller bastard, uh, I mean, it takes you like a long time to write a good length, let's say a novel or whatever, and that's months. And then, you know, you got to let it sit for a while. Then you got to do a, a second draft and a polish and whatever. And then even if you already got a guy on the inside, you know, in the industry, you know, you you got to get it. They got to accept it, and look at it, and revisions, and then it's got to get published. I mean, it takes forever. So, I mean, it it really is just like uh, it's like trying to eat off a tree that you just planted yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of a lot of waiting around and a lot of frantic labor, and then waiting around, which is always a little weird because after you've been working that hard for that long, you sort of expect things to happen really quickly afterwards. Right. That's not how it's going. Like we're going to rush that into. It'll be out tomorrow. 
And the moment that they do move over there and do something and they need you to do something, they expect that to be done within hours. Totally, yeah. yeah. The world is unfair. But, but I mean, as, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day, and then I think Weird Al Yankovic, all people made this point. He said that, you know, the, at least now, he was talking about how with the recording industry, like Weird Al has got this thing where... Are you guys like tight now? We're boys. Are you hanging with, with, with Weird Al? Not so much. Yeah. Uh, but, you but know. He's like one of your expert sources. You go back to him occasionally. For, I cite him. Yeah. He's a cite. Yeah. Um, but uh, as uh, Alfred Yankovic said in his groundbreaking treatise, <laughs> Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, but he's talking about, you know, as, as a parody artist, he's like, you know, I, it takes me six months to get a record done. Then it gets out there, and then, you know, all the parody songs are old. And new stuff has come along. So he has started doing this thing, which you, which he can do because he's got enough name recognition and an audience, um, where he'll hear a parody song, mm-hmm. and as soon as he or he'll hear a song, and as soon as he gets the parody song done, yes. finished, mixed, mastered, like it's on iTunes that day. That's rocking. And he has now started releasing singles directly to the internet. Uh, you know, when I guess the record will come out at some point, but skipping everything, going right to the internet, and I guess to his website. And I guess maybe publishers can do that. Like I guess you could get to the point is right. You could do that someday, like to the like to like one of those Kindle things. Kindle, right? You know, you know the Kindle, right? I do. I might have a book on Kindle. Really? I didn't even know what it was. Wait, hold on. Oh, for a minute I thought you meant you had a book about the Kindle, and I was going to note the irony of that. No. No, you, no do you own a Kindle? Sarah, do you know what a Kindle no, is? No, I don't. No, I do look, not. look, look, the Brian Wilson book, the, what I wrote. Oh, it's available on the Kindle. That's what I meant. Oh, dude. All right, so, uh, Sarah, do you know the Kindle? No, I do not. All right, we're going to, don't call about the Kindle now, because we're going to do a whole uh, gadget show sometime in December, because uh, holidays and so, so forth. So I have to wait for... Oh, no, I'll talk about, no, okay. no, no, I'll talk about it now, but I mean, just saying, I mean, but you know how, I say this with love, you know how the audience is, especially with anything techie. That, that you know everybody wants to weigh in and, and that and it's great but we're going to do a whole show about gadgets or a whole like hour or something about gadgets at some point in your future so don't I'm just saying don't call or write about it yet because we don't have time save to get it. to it but we save will yes save your observations but the Kindle you've seen the size of my day planner haven't you mm-hmm. I mean it's about you know I would maybe about six inches across maybe about eight inches high no, it's not very big the Kindle and I know there's some alternate like I think Sony has one that is like their own brand the Kindle is something that is it's those dimensions. It's about this tall, about eight inches tall, about six inches wide, but only about as thick as a legal pad. Okay. And it is a portable – it's a book, basically. In other words, you can download from Amazon uh, newspapers, magazines, daily newspapers, daily magazines, weekly newspapers, books like his uh, Peter Cohn's like full read, length. I could read the uh, New York Post every day? Exactly. You could subscribe. And, you know, yeah, and the, the Kindle itself, you know, you buy the Kindle, but there's no, like, subscription fee. There's no monthly fee. It's just if you want to download something, you know, sometimes there's a monthly fee or sometimes some of those things are free. You can get Brian, uh, Peter's whole Brian Wilson book on it. It, it. Think of it like this. It is like a wireless iPod for books. Awesome. I mean, it's, and you know, it's a few hundred dollars, but apparently, and I was like, well, who wants to read a book on a computer? That sucks. And I haven't seen them in person, but apparently they've got this revolutionary kind of screen and font to where they're like, you don't even, they're like, it doesn't even seem like, it's like you're reading a book. It doesn't seem at all like you're reading a computer screen. And it's a Kindle? Kindle, K-I-N-D-L-E. Which I think is kind of a lame name. It kind of sucks. It, yeah. The name is very good. But uh, it really is, I mean, it seems pretty, pretty amazing, so... Anyway, right. I don't even know what we're talking about here, but blah, blah, blah. So you got a book on the Kindle, but so someday that could be the thing you do. You know, you write the book, and then bam, it's on the net to the Kindle. People are reading it. 
That would be awesome. And then you're saving yourself publishing costs. But first they have to send me money. Turn around. Well, Stephen King tried that. It didn't work out very well. Really? Yeah, he did that thing, Writing the Bullet, which was a, sort of a serial. Yeah. And the deal was, it was donation. And he was like, I'm going to write a chapter. And it's like, he, he was like, he asked everybody to kick in like 50 cents. For him? Uh, yeah, I think it was like 50 cents, you know, per chapter. See, but here's my problem with that, is that he's already got more money than he could ever possibly use. Well, I suppose, but I mean... So, but but could I read it without sending him the fifty cents? Uh, well, the deal was he's like if you download it, he, he would put it on his website. He's like, uh -huh. it's like here's chapter one. I can tell you're fascinated by this. Yeah. He said here's chapter one. Download it, kick in fifty cents, and he's like, as long as seventy five percent or more of people kick in fifty cents, so I'll, I'll write more. Right. And he's like, if it drops below that, you know, then I'll stop. Uh, and I think there was enough to keep for he wrote like a full ten chapter. You know, it was like a ten or twelve chapter book. Yeah. So anyway, something he said. Uh. I know you're catching up. You got a lot of work to do. We're kind of behind, so I. I but I will do this because if I don't, the audience is going to kill me. Okay. So your thoughts on the Shield finale, which aired? I know that you and I, you and I traded emails about this, and you felt like it was it was too dark. Yeah. No. 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 It wasn't just too dark. I just thought that what they did is that they, they, they. Well, I mean, it was a trifle dark, but I can handle dark. But what I thought was they kind of pivoted to this weird sort of moral absolutism after years and years of kind of gallivanting around through the gray areas of life and, and pointing out, you know, and using the rubric of, of that, the, you know, those, those officers in that show to kind of talk about, uh, you know, the sacrifice, the moral sacrifices people make or the ethical sacrifices they make for what they believe is a moral point, you know, uh, to, to achieve a moral goal. Right. Um, and pointing out, you know, where the contradictions lie and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was fascinating. But in this last series, they kind of like suddenly realized like, well, all that stuff didn't really happen, but what really did happen was the, the killing of Crowley in the first episode, which to me never made sense given everything else that we ever learned about Vic Mackey, that he was a lot of things and was capable of killing and, and torturing people, but always with some moral goal, even if that at times, I mean, I, and I don't ever think that... Um, it was rare when his self-interest really got in the way of his sense of, you know, not wounding other, you know, actual civilians and, and innocents. But in this case, by the time they got to the last half of this uh, of this season, it was like the show was just meeting out uh, um, punishment to all these different characters, and you knew it was going to end badly for all of them. And it was going to get worse and worse and worse. And by the end of, the, of that, uh, you know, the last few episodes, and particularly that that climactic episode. We were just looking down on these guys and tisk tisking and waving our fingers at them, and I kind of felt like what was interesting about that show was the fact that you could both sort of be horrified by what Vic was doing, but on the other hand, you kind of understood that there was an, you know, at, at his essence, he was basically a good person, I... even though he was capable of really bad stuff, which made you question your own sense of good and evil, See... and that's what made the show interesting. And I think, and I will say that I think one of the hallmarks of, you know, one of the one of the indications of how great that show was, and the first half of this final season kind of sucked. I think they could have condensed the, the final two seasons down to one, but I think the fact that we're, and this, I've had this debate with a lot of people, I think the fact that people are still debating kind of the essence of Vic and all this is maybe a testament to how great that show was when it was great, that, I don't know, man. I mean, I understand that, that the moral ambiguity and the shading and all that. But man, when you hear Vic in that penultimate episode in the room, just laying it all out like Catholic style. Yeah, but you see, uh... I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that scene. I didn't buy um, that. What's her name? The blonde that, we had, that he had right, protected at right. first, and then suddenly, but then suddenly she was like this kind of moral beacon. Whereas 
the, the reason that he had become so connected to her was the fact that she was in trouble with the mobsters and had, you know, and they had all that info on her, and so she was a little impure herself. Uh, but see, that's, but that's, but see, that's, I think you and I are viewing it differently. I think Olivia, uh, that character, I don't think she was a moral beacon. I think the lesson of the show, mm. at its essence, I think the lesson of the show was that people look out, uh, you know, people in those morally ambiguous, ambiguous situations look out for a greater good until it's you or them, you know? And then when it's you or them, they always pick them. Uh, and that's the deal with Olivia. You know, she worked problem. with Vic until she was in the clear. And once she was in the clear and it was her or Vic, she picked her. The other problem I had with that last uh, season was how much of it sort of pivoted on, you know, began to center around Ronnie, that right. character, who right. was a zero. We knew, I mean, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to criticize that actor per se, but as a character, he was so underwritten, he didn't exist. Ronnie was just a dude in a suit. You know what I'm saying? Right. He was clothes walking around, taking up space and bouncing off of Vic. But without, but like, as opposed to when Lamb was in trouble and those other characters, Shane and Lamb and those guys, you cared desperately about them. And the more you learned about them, the more vibrant and, you know, more invested in them you became. Whereas with Ronnie, they never once told us anything about him. He was the guy that got his face sizzled a couple right, of seasons ago. Right, right. And then he was just a guy. I mean, and maybe was that part of the point? That, I think that was the point, that of all of them... But, but we still didn't learn anything about his life and who he was and what he stood for and what he thought he was standing for and, and where he came from and, and why he was there. I will tell you that that sequence where they're hauling Ronnie away... And I didn't just, care. I, I couldn't have cared less. And see, and I did. That was actually... Why, though? What, that, what, did you, what, what did you think he was losing? Because I think that, you know, we didn't know a whole lot. He was, you know, in Star Trek terminology, he was a red shirt, you know? Yeah, He's, exactly. The guy sent down to investigate the tentacle acid planet. Yeah. Um... But, but, you know, but that's the thing is, like, I think they, they, they went about it in a very, very heavy-handed way over the course of the show. But I think they, they did this thing of keeping him more or less completely clear of everything, which is probably an overly broad way of doing it. But so you did have this kind of sense that he was relatively clean, even though he probably wasn't. You know, and so at the end, you see this guy that at the very least, you never really saw doing that much that was bad. And here's the other great thing. By keeping him such a blank, it's like in The Wire when Marlowe finally loses it and starts screaming at his guys in lockup. Where he goes, you know, my name was on the street, and he loses it. Because Ronnie was just so, uh, you know, mellow for all seven years, when he finally cracked and started screaming and then I think actually crying at the end, that is what really, really haunted me because he was so mellow. And oh, then just see. to see him break like that was just terrible. I was checking my email, or I might as well have been <laughs> at that moment because I just couldn't have cared less about right. Ronnie. Um, let's see. Uh, we, I, Sarah, tell me we've got it, we've got it, we have to end it, sir. I'd love to. The music is getting ready to play me off here. Uh, are you, now, are you back to sort of being more, uh, your, your, your schedule is going to be a little more smooth? We'd love to, I'd love to continue these chats. Yeah, I'm back to myself, more or less, you know. Right. Um, so I'll be, so I'm actually, you're actually speaking to me at the office. All right. Isn't uh, that rocking? Well, I'll drop you an email. We'll figure out what day, uh, what day works. So congratulations on finishing the book. We look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, me too. All right. Thank you. Peter Carlin, read him in print in the Oregonian online at the Oregon, uh, at OregonLive.com. Thank you, Peter Carlin. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. Do you want to do some news after this? I'd love to, yeah. Very exciting. News after this with Tim Riley. It's 503-733-2970. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues next.
from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. O.J. Simpson's lawyers are asking that he only get six years in prison instead of 18. He said it's inappropriate to have him send him for Morris. How about this? How about he gets the choice? He can either have six years by himself or one year in a cell with Fred Goldman. Choose now. Oh, that'd be great. Choose your destiny. It's a startling Britney watch. Here's your startling Britney watch. For Tuesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Damn it. Damn it. The total choke right there. Tim Riley with you, Brittany Watch. So this concerns not Brittany, but her sister, Jamie Lynn. Jamie Lynn? Star Magazine says that Jamie Lynn Spears is worried she caused permanent damage to her daughter, Mabby, because Jamie had lipo while she was pregnant. That's while she was pregnant. You might be wondering how a perfectly healthy 16-year-old managed to get lipo, and you'd be right. Jamie's mom, Lynn, had to fight with her daughter to get approved because they're not supposed to knock... Uh, out underage teens and poke around the insides of them. Meanwhile, uh, how did Jamie get into this mess to begin with? It's not clear if Maddie's slow development is because of the surgery or because the spears are retards, says the star. <laughs> I, I don't believe the star said that. I think it's from dig.com. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I'm just one of those people who reads anything put in front of them. Well, okay. go after yourself. <laughs> We're not saying that the star called the Spears family retards. So let's go on to the next paragraph. Okay, I haven't what read star yet. Actually <laughs> Jamie Lynn had just finished her hit Nickelodeon show, Zoe 101, which she found out that the weight was piling on, not realizing she was expecting. <laughs> she pleaded with her mother, Lynn Spears, to let her get liposuction. She didn't know that she was pregnant. Fortunately, the Spears are retards. <laughs> and so it wasn't an issue. Her mom approved the injection. Well, we were just talking yesterday about... tape to get the clinic to administer them to an underage patient. We were talking yesterday about how journalistic standards have become a little lax. <laughs> what with the uh, guys horsing around and whipping out the checkbook. Yeah, I'm going to night riding school at KGW. <laughs> Any form of liposuction is dangerous and should not be performed on a pregnant woman, says plastic surgeon Gary Burton. Many would agree, I guess. It poses serious health risk to the fetus. Okay. Because the spears are retards. <laughs> the end. I hope In and so forth. I just got an email from somebody asking me about the Britney Spears. They were asking me about that. Uh, where did it go? Somebody just, uh, what's that? Did that answer the question about whether they're retards? <laughs> I, I don't really know the answer to that. Too. Well, uh, never mind. Sarah and I had this discussion uh, during a break yesterday. Uh, and it was it, basically, it was a discussion that my... See, I'm not even, I shouldn't even talk about it because then it's just going to be, because I can't talk about it on the air. 
I told Sarah, Sarah, I told you this. Laura and I were having this discussion this weekend about. Yes. What about? See, and now, uh, see, this white. You shouldn't have said anything. But it is kind of interesting. And maybe somebody can give you a medical explanation because you weren't doing it out of a place of, like, being mean or making fun. You were just, you were. I. All right. Uh, sorry, Sarah. You know the question. Yeah. Do I, I ask or do I not? I'll. What do you think? What's your gut say? I don't think it's say? that bad. What does your gut say? The still small voice inside. I think that other people would be interested in knowing the answer too. It's okay. A question that they don't know that they want to know yet. Okay. So we got Max. He's our, uh, you know, our first dog. <clears throat> he's a uh, Max is a Lhasa and Poodle and whatever. And he's, you know, he goes a little wacky every now and again, like all animals do, like like people do. Um, but you know more, you know, but he's but he's pretty together. He's pretty calm, pretty sedate most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's especially compared to the new dog. He's very proper. And the Max is very proper, very reserved. Seems sort of a, you know, the new dog does a lot of shenanigans, and Max has that look like, oh, these kids, they have no sense of decorum, you know. And then he sort of like licks his paws for an hour and then goes to sleep. Um, so that's Max. Our new dog Philo, bit of a basket case, uh, and uh, just uh, and just twitchy about everything. I mean, I've talked about this where he was eating and his tail thwapped against the stove or against the oven door, and the noise was so loud, like his own tail made a noise that was so loud he was terrified. So he's like eating, 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 tail waving, 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 whap, tail hits the hits the oven door, him noise, ah, and ran away. Um, you know, and sometimes, like if he's doing something wrong and I have to correct him or doing the harsh tone. And I'm sorry for talking about the dog, but it'll all be worth it in a second when you hear my question. So he's doing something wrong. I say, you know, Philo, no. And he gets that. So that doesn't freak him out. He'll just stop whatever he's doing. But sometimes, like, he'll be, you know, he'll be on the sofa, and I'll be like, uh, and I'll walk over, like, who's a good boy? And he'll just be like, ah, and he just runs away down the hall into a door. Uh, You know, you know, or just turns, or just is not very bright. Like, just walks into things and sort of falls over for no reason. And maybe he's just a puppy. Who knows? But while watching Philo's behavior, I asked my wife, who has medical training, she has a degree, and you know, she's a nurse and all, and she deals with people who are of a impaired mental state uh, for whatever reason, and I asked my wife, I said, now, it, it, like, do dogs, or other animals, in this case, I said, do dogs, do dogs get, like, mental... You know the deficiencies, like uh, and this and and I and I asked her this only because I was curious. This is the the phrase I used only because I honestly it's like so many things on the show. Like how long can man live on bread alone? Three months. I have to know. My question was like could you could you have a dog that had Down syndrome? And I don't know the answer. And I'm and you have to everyone who have to believe me when I say I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be no, edgy. You're not, no, you're not. I know, but I've kind of wondered that too because they're, you know, like just like in life, there are smart dogs and stu- you know stupid dogs. Smart people, not so. Br- well, but I'm just saying, but you know, look, there's a, like a billion things that have to be put together so for you. I'm wondering if Down syndrome is necessarily just a specifically human yeah. thing, or, or like, or, or do could dogs get it? Because I mean, exactly. Let me be right. Your body is like a watch that has a billion parts that all have to function properly for everything to go as it should, and so there are any number of uh, people that come off the assembly line. Sometimes a little, a uh, little weird, a little different. Sometimes you got the, you know, six fingers. Sometimes you got something else that's wrong. So, so, but I was wondering, like, you know, dogs aren't perfect. Obviously, they're a carbon-based life form. Like, can, and so I wasn't asking it to be a jerk or to be edgy. It was a science question that you can't really ask anybody. That's the problem. There's, a, you can't, 
Like, you can't ask your friends, because then you look like a jerk. So it's like, could a dog have Down syndrome? Because, just speaking scientifically, uh, with a human who has Down syndrome, there are, of course, external signs. There are physical characteristics. I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible. The, the, the physical characteristics that indicate the presence of that syndrome. Mm-hmm. And with a dog, obviously, you wouldn't be able to know. And I'm not trying to say that a dog with Down syndrome is as important as a person. I'm not making it a moral equivalency. Just scientifically speaking, I'm wondering, could my could my dog have, have some sort of, some sort of mental, mental uh, delayed development, Down syndrome or what have you? But I don't really know. Maybe that's just a thing that happens, uh, you know, the humans or the... I would say it'd be human. I guess there'd be some do-gooder out there starting some society for it. See, that's probably, see, no, that's probably a fair point. Uh, that if, if dogs could get it, you know, there's lots of people who prefer animals to dogs. Absolutely. Or, or animals to humans, rather. Mm-hmm. Lots of people who care about animals more than they care about most people. Oh, yeah. We probably fall into that category some of the time. Me. Did you see that thing about a hunter who shot a deer and then the deer gored him with his antlers? Yes, I did. <laughs> I regret nothing. Avenge oh, me. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we root for the animals in this world, but you're probably right. There would probably be an organization fighting to, to stop that or to cure it. Mm-hmm. But that's only if they know about it. See, that's my thing. Like, how would you know? Because with a, with, a, with a child, you wait for speech to develop, you know, speech and cognitive ability to develop. Mm-hmm. They're able to, you know, to grasp certain concepts, amorphous concepts that only humans can get, like amounts and numbers. And again, physical characteristics. A dog, though, you're not, the dog didn't have the balance of checkbook. How would you ever know? Mm-hmm. Dogs could have, dogs, every dog could have that for, that, for all we know. You'd have never be able to tell. These are the things I think about. I think more people think about that stuff. Either. See, and I was asking it just because it's a, it's a question I have. Uh, it's for science. All right. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the hour all the way through like us. This one's going out to my left for dead peeps. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Back after this. Birthday to you, Court of Court and Fat Boy, and our Happy sister birthday, station, Court. Rock 101 KUFO. Court, 43 years old today. He sure is. He looks he's looking pretty spry for as old as he is. I would say he's holding it together pretty well yeah, for a man of his age. So well, well. Done, well, hairline's starting to go a little bit. Though. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, like us at three, Michael Mayer show at seven. What's tomorrow? Thursday. Mm-hmm. What's coming? We have somebody tomorrow. Um. Oh, we're having. Uh, Let's see, Joe on from the Found Footage, Found Film, Footage Festival, Film Festival, which I saw a preview from uh, for Laurelhurst last night, and it looks goddamn hilarious. Fantastic. Do I have time for a call? Um, sure. All right. Should I do animals or radio play? Radio play. All right. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I help you? Got uh, 
Quick question. Your yes. radio play that you're putting on, is that going to be weekly, monthly, or just kind of a random thing? Well, we're going to do it this Sunday, the 7th at 6 p.m., CBS Radio Theater, two series, AZ and the Crimson Mist. Uh, we're doing it this Sunday, and then uh, and then we will uh, we'll wait for the turn of the year, and we'll make an announcement around the turn of the year about when it's going to air. So. Fantastic. One other thing, Sarah. Yes. Uh, the heart-shaped box. At what point in that book did you throw it away? Ah, uh, no, no, no. I haven't read it. I haven't read okay. it. No, back, back, <laughs> All right. We're going to have seen a radio correspondent, Steve Kassamount, Lisa Desjardins, and oh, uh, and uh, Sarah's sister's co-worker, Valerie, yes. from who was Thank on Cash Cab. All right, Rick Emerson, show producer today, never David, the Lonely Talented, Sarah Excellent for M970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and the phone, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zim, webmistress, Bridgman Upstairs, CBS Radio Portland, uh, marketing guru, Susan Donut with me, Reynolds. See you all tomorrow. Like us next. Bye. I barely knew her.